Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 70. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Rake on Chris. You're looking healthy today. You're looking uh, fit. Oh, yeah. Good. Because uh, I'm rested. sick. No, you're sick. Well, it's because you were drinking NyQuil, as we understand. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> well, what do you what, what, what ails you? I don't know. I, like, I've been having a runny nose for like several weeks, mm. but it wasn't like I think what happened was all the fires started mm. messing with me. And I think they messed up, messed with my allergies a little bit. So that's what I'm feeling right now. It sucks. It's stupid. I'm sorry. Getting to hear allergies that. in the middle of October. What? Yeah, I know. Almost November. I mean, when you came here, I thought it was November. That's how yeah. detached from the calendar I am. It's not even remote. It's, I mean, it's somewhat November, but it's not not November. <laughs> it's it's not really somewhat November at all. It's, right. it's, it's October, Colin. Right. It is. I, well, we're recording this in October. I guess by the time this goes free, it'll be almost or around November. But nonetheless, it really doesn't matter. California's on fire. Mm-hmm. Constantly, uh, it's always on fire. It always seems to be on fire. I hate to be this guy, but when people, you know, are talking about it online, or I'm seeing, and I'm like, I, I always seem like this is. It's it's kind of similar to what's going on with Trump, where I hear so much that I just I'm totally disinterested. Yeah, it's you're really numb. Yeah, you know, it's like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do about that? You know, it's like an Amber Alert. It's like I'm trying to sleep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I get Amber or they fucking they shock me awake or they shock me in the into, you know, I'm like, why is my phone? You going know, off studies like show yeah. that if you wake up too quickly, you can die. Oh, that's actually true. Really? Yeah. It's like a really slim chance. But if you get jolted awake, you could you could die. You could die. Isn't that great? Oh. Maybe I should have people try to wake me up suddenly all the yeah. time in hopes that I'm taken from this mortal coil already. I'm going to set several alarms. <laughs> I actually woke up to a text message today. See, I usually don't wake up. I usually like wake up nervous and full of anxiety, but today I woke up and someone was texting me. And I'm like, what time is it? You know, <laughs> and I got like a normal, you know, normal sleep, which is nice. But uh, anyway, I don't know what the show is about, but uh, it's ostensibly about PlayStation. <laughs> Eventually it will be about PlayStation. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins last stand for early ad free access to our show as well as other perks, including Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our weekly supplemental show only for patrons. Last week, we did a little bit of a mailbag, which was a lot of fun. This week, Chris recommended that we do something, you know, because Medieval just came out, which we're going to talk about in a moment, and some other remakes and remasters have come out in the recent months and years. So we thought we would do an episode about the remakes that we want to see, who would remake them, the games that would, or the games that we want remade, who would remake them, and of course, lots of input from you guys. That's another perk of supporting us on Patreon, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. And hey, I was thinking about this recently. Sacred Symbols Plus, if you want to just join us on Patreon at the lowest possible level, which is a dollar a month, you're getting Sacred Symbols Plus for between 20 and 25 cents an episode. I mean, that's pretty good value. That's pretty good. You know, that's a pretty decent value. And even if you go all the way up to the five dollars a month level, which we'd love to have you guys at, which is where you get, you know, early ad free access to all the shows and the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns and all that kind of stuff. It's the yearly cost of a triple A video game. Not yeah, so right. Bad. Not so bad. Not so bad. So be a freeloader if you want. But if you want to help us and support us. I mean, look at all the money you're wasting in your life. <laughs> Give it to us and allow us to waste it for you. Yeah. I think it's a lot better that way. For sure. 
Chris, everyone can go to CollinsLastStand.com for more information on all of that, information on our merch, et cetera, and so on. We do appreciate your support in that regard. We have a lot to get to today. There's yeah. a lot to get through. But I thought I would start with this letter from Saul Nolasco. Now, I don't know if he meant to send just this on Patreon or, or if he hit enter or whatever and then <laughs> sent it. But all he asked was, how are you two fine gentlemen doing? That's it. I, that seems like the beginning of something. That he was going to ask yeah, us, but yeah. that's all that came through. Yeah, maybe he like sent it by accident instead of uh, starting a new paragraph. You think he would have noticed and maybe, I mean, is Saul so lazy <laughs> that he sent that and it got sent and he's like, ah, fuck it. And then he just like walked away. Do you think that, or, uh, do you you think that this is all he meant to ask? No way. How are you two fine gentlemen doing? No way. Nobody cares about that. Yeah, I don't know. We already told you. We're all depressed and sad. Lumpy wrote into us. Lumpy. Lumpy. Said, hello, Combat Colin and Commander Chris. Now, I'm a little mad because you put two L's in my name, which is a pet peeve of mine. Longtime listener, first time writing in. If a pregnant woman goes scuba diving, is she technically a submarine? Love the show. Keep doing what you do. Chris, if a woman is pregnant, she goes scuba diving. Is she technically a submarine? Is there a way to like will an aneurysm (laughs) into existence? Probably. Probably. Listen, fine. (laughs) (laughs) I can't argue against it. I, I feel strongly opposed to this idea. Yeah. But I cannot in good faith argue against it. No. So I'm just going to leave it at that. That's fair. I'm a little disconcerted by one part of this question, which is if a pregnant woman goes scuba diving. I mean, to me, I think you could have just asked, like, if a pregnant woman goes into a pool, if a pregnant woman goes swimming in an ocean, etc. Wouldn't is the she... pressure of, like, scuba diving possibly, like, be pretty damaging? Hmm. Because like that's a whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's a good point because you get the bends and stuff like that. Yeah. And you can't come up or go down to. That's actually a great point. I would assume maybe you shouldn't or can't. Well, you can do whatever you want. But I don't think if you're pregnant, maybe you should be going scuba diving. Seems like it's not very fun for the baby. Yeah, I I feel like it's definitely advised against. I feel like I have a hunch that that's probably not something that most pregnant people partake in. When your uh, mentally incapacitated baby is asking you about the pregnancy, you can say that you saw some beautiful coral reefs off the coast of Tasmania while you were crushing yeah. its brain under the pressure of the uh, of the Pacific Ocean. What a great sacrifice. Now, now your head is a bowl. Mentally deficient. <laughs> Patrick Doherty wrote in and said, Hazy and C, I was in Europe not too long ago. I'm sorry. And my friends and I found ourselves starving in the evenings on many occasions. Five Guys was our savior when local restaurants were closed in London and Barcelona. Just wanted to put the heathens to rest. Long live the five. Thanks for great content as usual. We are putting some serious money into the pockets of the five guys. Yeah, we should probably be charging for this at this point. It's a little frustrating, but uh, Patrick, I'm glad you were fed well in Europe. I always really enjoyed eating European food, the bangers and mash. Yeah, uh, beans and uh, with a side of beans. Yeah, beans and potatoes. And a bean milkshake. Pretzels. I had a lot of pretzels in uh, Germany. When I'd go to Germany, there was a Pizza Hut in the mall near where I would stay. Both times I was there. Oh, so weird. I would, I, I would go eat Pizza Hut. I or they, seen they, a they were called Pizza, pizza Hut. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. Oh, pizza Hoot. That's terrible. And then I go back to my uh, hotel room and watch uh, whatever the fuck was on TV at that time, which was nothing I could understand. Jake Zielsdorf wrote into us and said, hey, guys, per last episode's conversation, because we have a few uh, corrections here to get through about Ron Paul associated gold, gold obsessive. So we were talking about Ron Paul and how everyone's obsessed with gold. We don't we don't know the actual value of what gold would be in the apocalyptic situation when you would want like wheat. Yeah. Or, you or know, food. antibiotics or something like that. Yeah. There is indeed a term in the dictionary for these people. They are called gold bugs. 
And I submit a new term for the modern form of these creatures who obsess over cryptocurrencies. Bitbugs. Isn't that nice? That's cute. It's I, a cute little thing. I don't like cryptocurrency. No, I don't like it. It scares me. Yeah, I, I, it, it not only scares me, it just... <laughs> the market is, is self-manipulated. You can see people that own lots of cryptocurrency talking up cryptocurrency to make it more valuable. Doesn't crypto mean, like, fake? Isn't that, isn't that like kind of like a thing? I thought crypto is like uh, that root word means something that's not particularly positive. Oh, OK. Yeah, I don't I don't I know. Crypt- cryptology, I, I thought, was like uh, something to do with it, it. It's cryptographic. Right. As so in just it, like it's, it's non-understand- unknown. Like unknown. Yeah. But, but it's, we know what it is. We know what a cryptocurrency is. It's not. I think so. I still, somebody I, had to make it. Right. I still don't really understand what it is. But somebody I, had to make it. It can't be unknown if somebody had to make it. Yeah. No, that's true. And there are different kinds of cryptocurrencies as well. I actually had a really nice guy on Fireside Chats a long time ago to discuss it. And I think at that time I kind of understood it a little bit better than I do now. But I like blockchaining and all that kind of stuff. And here, do me a favor out there. Do not write in about this. <laughs> Okay, because yeah, I know you guys like to write gonna, in about... We're not going to follow up on this because I don't think either of us care enough. <laughs> Just do us all a favor and don't <laughs> write in about that. Jeremy Miller wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, would you ever consider bringing back the friend of the week or some kind of equivalent? So what he's referring to for my old school fans is back on Podcast Beyond. We used to do a friend of the week kind of thing where we would highlight a person on PSN that wanted friends or needed help with a game. That seems a little too literal for me compared to my old shows. I don't really want it. I don't, I don't know. You guys can tell me, is that something you want? Jeremy Miller says he needs uh, help in Freedom Wars on Vita. Um, he's grinding the online trophies. His name is S- uh, SlyZappy1, S-L-Y-Z-A-P-P-Y-1. I'm only reading that to inquire if anyone wants us to do that more often. And because he's playing Freedom Wars on Vita. Yeah. Which, of course, was the last great AAA exclusive on Vita that came out way back in 2014. Joe Byrne wrote into us and said, hey, guys, just an update on how backwards compatibility on Xbox One works. So Chris and I were talking about last week kind of theorizing how this works, I guess a little, well, clearly a little unsure. Here's how it goes. I actually think I was pretty much right, actually. Mm. Discs work almost as a key to unlock the game, which is installed on your Xbox. So when it is loaded into the disc tray, it never has the Xbox reading the disc, except to acknowledge that the game is inside the Xbox. The game is then started and is played through an Xbox 360 emulator that exists within the Xbox One. You can even, this is Chris said this, you can even open up the old 360 guide and start parties with friends who are playing on Xbox 360 if you would like. The same goes for the original Xbox games as they start an original Xbox emulator within the Xbox One. Some very cool stuff. Sony likely hasn't figured out how to create such an emulator for something like PS3, PS2, or PS1. And that is why the PS4 cannot play disc-based games from older generations. Hope this clarifies things a bit. It does. Thank you for that. I think I was basically right. Yeah. I think we both kind of walked around that point, too. I think I remember specifically saying that I thought it was an emulator. And I said that I think the discs just read as like knowing that you own it. So we got there in the end. It probably took us about 25 minutes to say what uh, (laughs) Joe Byrne just said in a short paragraph. And finally, Nimbus wrote in with a correction. He said, good day, Colin and Chris or CNC. I would like to offer a counter to your recent doom and gloom like comments on Final Fantasy 15. We still have Final Fantasy 15 defenders out there, by the way, although He's right, because this does need to be corrected. He said, you said the o- they only released one DLC, but that was from the second round of DLC. Overall, four of seven DLC packs were released over the two plus years between the game's release and its last DLC. This is in addition to the additional story patches, side content, game modes, multiplayer and spinoff games. Just wanted to clarify all that after you suggested Final Fantasy 15 didn't go so well. Keep up the good work and keep making every day great again. Thank didn't you. it not go so well, though? I mean, I think it did fine. I don't know that it was uh, this this event yeah but nonetheless i do appreciate you submitting your corrections on final fantasy 15 
Thank you for that. Chris, before we get into what we're playing, a few notes that are kind of pre-news notes that are not in the news. I don't really feel like talking about them at length. The big one is that Death Stranding is coming to PC officially. Uh, Kojima Productions has announced that. This really annoys me. I don't know how many more times I can say this. And I really feel like, and I don't want to attack, I'm not attacking anyone specific because I don't really listen to video game podcasts. All that is clear to me is that a lot of you out there that are listening to multiple video game podcasts or getting your information from various media outlets, which is great. Uh, a lot of these people don't know what they're talking about because if they did, you would know that this was already revealed yeah. when Death Stranding was revealed. We talked about this. We several talked about times, it, I think. I think. The, yeah, several times on the show. And it just annoys me. It reminds me of the whole press square to see hidden trophy information. Like we already knew that. And now everyone's writing all of this news about it as if it's new yeah. again. And I woke up this morning and everyone's like, that's Stranding's coming to PC. And I'm like, yes, I know. They announced that. Indeed, it was on PlayStation's own website when the game was announced. Although apparently they have scrubbed that since. Uh, so the interesting thing about this is it comes to PC next year. It's coming to PS4 in the coming weeks. It's very imminent now. And it's being published by 505. It's not being published by Sony on PC, which is interesting. 505 most recently published uh, Control. So yeah. Interesting that Sony's not publishing the game or, or uh, not a huge surprise. I was looking into this a little bit. Obviously, Quantic Dream brought their games to PC. They self-published those. So there's that. Helldivers was brought to PC. We're going to talk about that in a little while, actually, interestingly. But Sony published it on um, on PC. And then Annapurna, the publisher, Annapurna Interactive, published uh, all the That Game Company games, uh, specifically Journey and Flower on PC. So there have been different partners working with this in the past. But how many more times... Can I say that Death Stranding's coming to PC? Yeah. Evidently not enough. Well, now you have it from the horse's mouth. Overwatch 2 apparently is going to be uh, revealed at BlizzCon. How do you feel about that? Uh, that's a thing, I guess. Yeah. See how that uh, we'll see how that con goes. Yeah, I feel like this is they have to have a big move, I guess, because of all the stuff with Hong Kong and China going on, but I'm a It's very soon. I think it's this week or it might even be happening around the time people hear this podcast in free feeds. So maybe we'll have more on, on Overwatch 2 next week, but I don't really want to report on it beyond that rumor. It seems pretty obvious. But yeah, BlizzCon is going to be a shit show. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm can't excited. Wait, can't wait for that. Uh, and finally, did you see this all Xbox All Access thing? I did that was not. Announced? All right. So this was published yesterday during football, and I want to just read this. This is from Xbox Wire, which is basically the equivalent of the PlayStation blog on the Xbox side. So it says, if you are... If you are a friend or looking for the right time to join the Xbox family, this is for you. We're introducing Xbox All Access, a limited time offer available only in the U.S. at a Microsoft store near you while supplies last. Now, apparently this this is going to expand to a few other countries. This particular letter is from 2018, and they were kind of bringing um, all access to the United States, which is this special service with uh, subscriptions and all this kind of thing. And then they kind of reintroduced it, right? And according to The Verge, Microsoft is bringing back its Xbox All Access bundle just in time for the holiday season. Xbox All Access is a bundle that splits the cost of an Xbox console, Xbox Game Pass, and Xbox Live into monthly payments across 24 months. The interesting thing about this, though, is that there's a special upgrade offer for the Xbox One X bundle with the ability to upgrade to Project Scarlet in 12 months time. Uh, Project Scarlet, of course, being the next yeah. Xbox. So I'm bringing this up only because we brought this. The Xbox All Access thing was announced last year in October, brought back this October for more territories is the subscription service. And they're parlaying it now into their next hardware initiative, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. 
And so we'll keep an eye on that. Not exactly PlayStation centric news, but certainly something Sony should be paying a lot of attention to. And I've said in episodes past, Chris, that they they need to get on this subscription service where people are basically getting hardware. It's kind of like the uh, rental centers. Yeah. Rent a center, RAC, where it's hopefully a little less predatory than those places are where (laughs) you're like going and buying a couch and paying like $12,000 for it. (laughs) But this is a nice way for people. You know, a lot of people that listen to the show live paycheck to paycheck, don't have a lot of money, can't buy things. New hardware is intimidating. I understand that. This seems like a cool way to get people involved. And so I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's a good idea. Chris, let's uh, get into the games we're playing. We're both playing the same games, which is Medieval and the Outer Worlds. I'm really interested to hear what you think of Medieval first, and then we'll talk about the Outer Worlds second. Medieval is what I remember, basically. So I'm not really surprised or, you know, blown away or anything. It's exactly what I would have imagined it would be. I I like it. I do think, again, this is just a problem with this game, I think, where the tone is very specific. And it's really hard to capture that tone again. There are environments that were previously very daunting in the previous games that are now very kind of colorful and grandiose and almost kind of whimsical. And it's almost like Ghostbusters, I feel like, where it's like it would be really hard to make Ghostbusters again because it was so specific to the time. It's such a specific crew working on it. It's such specific limitations that they were working with that actually, I think, helped. The fact that so much of the original game is mostly silent, aside from the music, and, like, now there's, like, a bunch of, like, Foley, and, like, there's all these sound effects, and it kind of makes the environment a little bit somehow less uh, dire. I do think it's fun. I like it. It plays better than the original, for sure. But aside from that, I think it's 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 a PS1 game. I really, I really do think this should have came with the second one. I really don't know why they didn't just do both of them because they're basically the same game except the second one's better and longer so it strikes me as weird to just focus on one game when it's so short and it's so it's so specifically the first of a of a of a series you know what i mean yeah it's like the pilot of what eventually was like super cool uh not to, not that medieval isn't cool but like it's definitely like i don't know i'm i'm mixed on it I'm overall happy, but I don't know. I, I miss the, I miss the tone. I'm really happy the original game is in there. When you said that to me, I was like blown away. Yeah, did you, like, were you oh. able to unlock it? Not yet, because I'm still splitting between Outer Worlds. Right. But yeah. Yeah, I sent Chris a note. I think it was from our friends at Push Square that noted that you can actually, through some trick, unlock the original Medieval in Other Oceans Medieval remake on PS4, which is pretty cool. Now, I don't have the connection to the old games that you do. I don't even know when I played them or I, I definitely didn't own them. Mm. And I wasn't really into that kind of like, you know, hack and slash or mascot platformers. Right. I think you would call this more of a mascot hack and slash. It's kind of a it's you know, a, interesting game from 98. It's weird. Yeah. And it is. It's very weird. And I always found I always felt like this was a series that could go back that Sony should and could go in mine. I, I always felt like Legend of Dragoon and a few others. Colony Wars were games from that era that yeah. could also go back and be mine. And I was glad that they got this game done because in PlayStation All Stars back in 2012, uh, Sir Dan is in it as a fighter. He's like one of the worst characters, but it was cool to see him back because we never really saw him ex- again after the PSP launch game Resurrection. Right. So it from that perspective, I think it's cool that they're exploring that again. And I think Other Ocean Again, not being attached to the original too deeply at all. I'm like, this seems like a really true to form remake of a PS1 era game. For I sure. think the cameras wonked out in the game. And yeah. 
I don't know why they can't fix that. Like for in, and they encourage you, for instance, to use like for, I think they call it Dan view or first Dan view or something Dan where you can, can yeah. yeah, like where you can see from his perspective basically. But the game doesn't let you use it in a lot of perspectives. The camera seems to be really hitched in a lot of ways on different geometry um, and limited in that way. And I don't really understand it. I want to love the game, mm-hmm. but it won't let me love it. It, it only lets me really like it. And yeah. I think it's in the mid 60s on Metacritic, which I feel is a little harsh, but I think the twenty nine ninety nine price point is right. I think that the getting it out around this time is right. It's a good October, November kind of horror filled game. I like Sir Dan as a character. I think he's funny. Yeah. Um, I think he looks so I guess I never really appreciated how fucking goofy he is. Like how <laughs> yeah. goofy he looks. It's a super it's really charming. Like the design of the game is like super charming. And I think that's the only reason that I, I, I really st- still am, am liking it. But I do agree with you with the camera. The camera is really weird, especially because uh, I feel like the camera's even closer than it was in the original, which is like a very strange thing because it, it's a hack and slash where you're consistently surrounded. Like for, for a lot of the time, you're surrounded by enemies. And for the camera to be closer than it was in the original feels really weird considering the FOV is higher. So why wouldn't you want the camera even further out? I, I, I don't know. There's like minor changes like that. I think the Dan cam thing is a bit weird because it makes you so slow and it's it also just gets way too close makes it feel like it's a third person shooter but you can't really aim with it right so it's like what i don't know it's there's like a bunch of weird things about it i still like it i think it's gonna run really good on next gen i think it was like the, there's some levels where it gets a little choppy which is weird to me i still don't understand how these how, old, the, how ps4 can't run this yeah game. ps1 game uh but i i think i i think we probably have the same issues with it i i like it a lot it's medieval again but again, I, I just I wish there's only two games like, come on. Well, I, I, I think that I think we I'm might get out the, about it. I think we'll see if we get the other one. I don't know. It doesn't seem. See, when we, we were busting balls with Concrete Genie because Sony didn't give a fuck about that game. And that was obvious. I mean, they as I said, they re- released Wired's embargo the day Concrete Genie came out, basically killing yeah. anything that game would have had as far as yeah. uh, social media momentum or anything like that. And so I went and looked just what happened on the day Medieval came out. Uh, they did tweet about the game, but they didn't tweet about the game. They tweeted about a statue of Sir Dan that you can buy. There was nothing seemingly on the PlayStation blog about it. And I went and looked at Other Ocean's Twitter account, and they hadn't tweeted at all since the game went gold. So I'm like, where is everybody? Like, it is I don't weird. understand what's going on with Sony marketing. Like, why? Even if you don't believe in the game, even if the game's not very good, I think that that's probably what happened with Concrete Genie. I think Medieval's a better game, a demonstrably better game than Concrete Genie. And I think that they might have realized Concrete Genie wasn't going to be this big game and wasn't going to sell well. And that might be that team's last game and all that kind of stuff. But you still have to push and stand behind your games if you're going to publish them. And yeah, it's I, super weird that they're just like they're MIA. And Makes I no sense. And I understand Death Stranding's on the horizon, but it doesn't really matter. You it, See, they've flooded the zone with Death Stranding to the point where I don't even care like that much about yeah, it. Conan anymore. O'Brien's in it. Yeah, like Conan's in it now. I watched that weird video he did in Japan with with uh, Kojima and they've like went so overboard. It's like whoever's in charge of marketing and directing PR and all that kind of stuff at Sony just is really, they really don't know what they're doing. And it's funny because I was thinking about it. I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I could remember his name, but there was a specific head of marketing that came in right before PS4 longs longsworth or long something like that. People will write in and know. And he came in and that's when we started getting the greatness campaign ads and all that kind of stuff and started getting away from like, it, it only does everything and stuff like that, which was the PS3 stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then that guy left, I think. And now we're in 
this marketing black hole again where I'm not expecting to see a medieval commercial on TV or something like that, but like one hand should know what the other hand's doing. So like, hey guys, medieval's coming out October 25th or whatever the day is. Uh, let's make sure to have like the launch trailer prominent on PlayStation blog. Let's make sure to get an interview up. Let's make sure other oceans tweeting about the game. Let's do an AMA on Reddit. All those kinds of things. It's just like those things matter. And yeah, yeah. And generate goodwill. And if your game is only going to sell 50,000 copies or whatever, which I think Medieval is probably going to sell. I think so. Then you could probably get another five or 10,000 out of it by pretending you give a shit about the game. If like you don't care enough about the game to even have anything about it, even like if I were in charge of PlayStation social media, the day Medieval came out, all we would talk about is Medieval. That's it. We would have Medieval art contests and pumpkin carving and all that. Like. Yeah. Just uh, for one day. Like, what's the big? Can we shut the fuck up about Call of Duty for one day? Can we shut the fuck up about Death Stranding for one day? Can we prepare? Can we pretend that anything else exists? <laughs> you we know? talking about, we've been talking about uh, Death Stranding for longer than Medieval was even announced. Exactly. Than people even knew about Medieval. It's frustrating to me. It is frustrating. Because if I was that other ocean, I'd be like, we made a pretty good game and we made a, a game yeah. that's true to the original. And it's totally out of our hands. And it reminds me of, of studios in the past, like Housemark, that were so disenchanted with Sony PR and Sony marketing that they tried with uh, Resogun in particular, tried to hire their own external PR and started trying to market the game themselves and got in trouble. Yeah. For doing that with Sony. So stupid. I think that's stupid. Yeah. So I think it's like they were spending their own money to try to get the game out, even though they were already paid their lump sum. It doesn't really make much sense. No. So I feel bad for these various teams. I feel bad for, uh, you know, for the Concrete Genie team and the Medieval team because they're just dying under this weight of a, of a publisher that doesn't seem to give a flying fuck about them. And I think that that's too bad. And you know what, guys? Uh, this spells, I don't want to say certain doom, but it doesn't spell good. You know, if you care about Predator or something like that, withhold your glee. Because yeah. I, I would I would assume <laughs> that they're going to... I, when Predator comes out, they'll probably also show the DualShock 5 that day. Yeah, or probably. Do something like that. <laughs> probably. You know, it's, oh, Predator's coming out. We, we definitely got to talk about PlayStation 5 for five days. Now. It really is a shame because, uh, you know, I do think the game's got so much charm, I think, still. And I think that's that's the main reason I liked it back in the day. Even like when I was a kid and I was playing and I was like, oh, this plays fine. You know, it wasn't my favorite game to play. But the charm of it and like the atmosphere of it was always fun. And I liked hearing the the kooky British voice acting and that they all kept. And it's like great. And uh, it really sucks. <laughs> they're not talking about it. I do love with Sir Dan though when he zoom. I just love the the deadpan zooming in on his face, or like, <laughs> yeah. like when he's not saying anything, or it's like you know get on with it or whatever he's saying. Like yeah, he's it's funny. He's reluctant. Yeah, I like that uh, when you're idle, he like turns his head completely around to look at you because he's he's just his neck and head is on a swivel. I definitely am glad I played it and bought. I think it's worth twenty nine ninety nine. Uh, I, I think so too. I, I know that a lot of people out there you know again money's tight you got it especially now it's called duty in the outer worlds and jedi yeah. and all those kinds of things like right everything. i know everything's out right now i know money's at a premium and you might want to wait but i really hope you guys choose to support other ocean you know fuck sony like they, they they clearly don't care about this game it's not really for them as much as it you know it's for supporting these devs that you know i don't know man if i was at other ocean I, I, maybe part of it's their fault too because like why aren't you talking about your game yeah but I understand the second party relationship, especially with a studio that's probably just fucking thrilled that they're working with Sony. They'll just shut the fuck up and release their game. But yeah, nonetheless, Chris, the other game that we're both playing is The Outer Worlds. And I'm curious what you uh, think of uh, Obsidian's uh, most recent game published by Private Division. I really, really like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a lot, like way more than I was anticipating liking. it. I do think 
some of the story progression feels fast. Like I feel like I was getting to places that like took that would have taken me like a lot longer to get to in a Fallout game. And there's something about the way that the worlds are set up, and I mean this in like a real as positive a way as a sentence like this could come a, could come across. Everything comes across like you're on this like movie set almost. Like every world feels like a set. And that that sounds like I'm saying it sounds like it oh it's it's it seems fake and it kind of does but it kind of like lends itself really well to this like pulpy kind of like 50s like science f- science fiction like romp and it's really cool. Yeah. I like every character that I've come across is really interesting and I want to talk to them like constantly which is super super great because <laughs> I haven't felt that in a RPG in a while. This is a really good RPG and it really kind of highlights how how lacking a lot of RPGs have been lately as far as like character investment and and you know just the interaction between characters. I do think the combat's like the weakest part of the game, but I but I don't care because it's so fun to just talk to people. I agree, man. It's so funny you say that. First of all, I think it's a great game. And I was surprised to hear I'm, I'm probably 15 hours in maybe a little less than that and I was surprised that people beat the game in 15 20 25 hours because I was hearing it was short I'm like I don't know man I I feel like I've not even seen anything if you go to the galaxy or the system map I don't think I've been to almost any of these places so I think it's one of those great games where you're going to get what you put in you're going to directly extract out of it I think I'm going to want to replay it because there's already like choices that I'm making it's like they give you some good choices there too where it's like it feels you know, the theme of the game is like very like, you know, uh, if, uh, you know, interplanetary colonization became capitalist and it seems like it would be very easy to be very one note, you know, good guy, bad guy, bad choice, good choice. But it really is super in depth and you feel you feel like people actually cared about making nuanced paths for you to take and like actually make taking care of making sure like an evil corporate boss didn't just seem like an evil corporate boss or like some freedom fighter didn't feel like just a freedom fighter. It really, there is like a lot of moral ambiguity to it. That was really, really cool. And honestly, I was shocked to see it. You know, the moral ambiguity is just for me straight out of new Vegas. Yeah. And that was for people that don't know fallout new Vegas from 2010 was an obsidian developed Bethesda published game. And widely, I think considered the best fallout game. I, I think a lot of people, Definitely consider it better than four. And I think most people consider it better than three. And then obviously with one and two, those are kind of just different games. But I really like the ambiguity and the level of writing. And there is a little bit of humor now. I've been taking some copious notes because uh, we're going to do a spoiler cast on it. I want to be able to talk about the story as much as I can. And we won't dive too much into that now. I do feel like there's not enough gradient in the story. It's like, all right, guys, I get it. Like the the evil corporations have a cabal and they and they control everything. I get it. I get it. You know, that's like my one major complaint with the story so far is it just mm-hmm. is constantly, constantly, constantly bashing you in the face about, man, these corporations are fucking crazy, huh? These corporations are fucking crazy, huh? These corporations. It's like, yeah, I, I get it, guys. You know, yeah. like I wish. So what I'm saying is, is that I wish it would go a little bit more Mass Effect now in the sense of like, OK, we have the full like in the first one with Saren and everything. We have that whole story. That's cool. We'll get there. Let's like, get into some of the individual stories. And now I'm starting to really explore that with the vicar and with my um, engineer and all those kinds of stuff. So it's it's pretty cool from that perspective. And mm-hmm. Chris, I got to tell you, this just continues 
the exposure of Bethesda Game Studios and their games. It's just another game. It's probably it's probably the fifth game or so like major game that's come out. I would consider Dying Light one of the games that have come out. The Witcher is one of the games that have come out. This is now one of the games and a few others where it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, how bad are these Bethesda Game Studios games looking through the lens of modernity? And what I love about this the most is that it's unabashedly a Bethesda Game Studios game. It's not like it's trying to be something else. It's not. It even has its own version of that's and all that kind of stuff in the game. I love it. The computer. And you were talking about the 50s and all that kind of stuff about that, that, that mentality. It's like that, a retro futurist kind of sci-fi. Which is it, just what Fallout was. Yeah, right? yeah. And because Fallout, the Great War and Fallout's in 2077, we don't usually get uh, a look at it. Fallout 76 obviously takes place around that time, but we don't usually get a look until everyone comes out of the vaults generations later. But it's even like the old Apple II style computers and, and the different uh, statistics, the same kind of statistics. What did you dump your points into? Uh, in the beginning, uh, and how have you been playing? Oh, I've been doing. I've been trying to avoid combat as much as possible. Oh, I've, been me too. Put, I've been doing like um, all my stuff into like persuasion and like lying and, and, and intimidation with like very little like ranged combat, just because I, I I can't melee people for shit because I'll, I'll get stomped. Uh, but I've been trying to just be like this uh, kind of wisecracking jackass who can try to talk his way out of everything, and I've done a pretty good job. I've only had to. I've only really had to fight people like twice. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's super I love cool. that. Yeah, me too. It's what I've always wanted. At, God, we talk about it all the time. Removing the violent element as the default in a video game is so nice, especially in a game like this. Not because we don't like violence in video games, but because we need something else. And this game makes it feel like, I think even better than the great fallouts, that it, it makes it feel like in Fallout 3, if you got out of something without fighting, it felt like the game wanted you to fight. Right. And, and yeah, that was yeah. even true in New Vegas, especially with all of like the the Caesars and all these different like groups. And it seemed like it made you want to fight. And the 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 moral ambiguity of it went towards combat. And in this game, I feel like by using persuasion, by lockpicking or hacking, the game's being like, no, this is a totally valid way of playing. You're not circumventing the combat. There's yeah. just not going to be any here. And I, I, I agree with you. I love that. I feel like it's so intuitive and so well designed from that perspective i love it it is it's it's really fun which is weird because like again like the combat isn't really you know it's about it's about fallout new vegas level combat you know you can aim down size it feels a little bit bethesda it's it's it doesn't feel like destiny you know what i mean or like any you know modern amazing first person shooter which I think kind of like hindered a lot of like you know, Dishonored was a pretty good like I love Dishonored but like that was a game that was like you could play this game non-lethally and it's like I can teleport and do insanely cool shit I'm gonna like are you kidding like I'm gonna kill everything right because it's so cool to do it <laughs> but like in this game where like I almost feel like the the jankiness of the combat and it's not really as janky as like old Fallout games but like just to be clear like the jankiness of the combat almost makes it so you almost kind of want to resolve things non-violently and it's that's kind of cool because the combat isn't terrible it's totally workable and it's enjoyable it's way better playing down sites than a fallout game for, for sure yeah and but, but but like it's i don't know it's it's designed in a very smart way that's like it really makes you want to just kind of talk to people and everything everybody's so interesting and well performed and i love the 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 very first <laughs> interaction uh with a with a real uh, person that you have once you start playing is is hilarious. 
<laughs> that dude in the cave. Yeah. Who's like, ah, ah, ah. Here's the slogan, by the way. <laughs> He's like, oh, what the fuck? This is awesome. And you crush it. <laughs> it's so good. The, the game opens up in a way that like made me, made me love it immediately. Like, this is such a hilarious way to start. How do you feel about, because I don't know how I feel about this, about the wonder that you get in a Fallout game by walking out of the vault and then this whole world is in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's definitely misses, different. This it's not missing it that. It doesn't have that because it's not yeah. one cohesive big open world. This is definitely more you're on an adventure that is set for you and you can play it however you want it, but it's not like this wandering. It feels way more focused. I feel like I'm meandering a lot less. I feel like I'm not walking through wastelands uh, for hours trying to find something that was, that's interesting. And that way it does separate itself from from a Fallout game. It does miss that kind of like almost uh, like mundane spectacle of just seeing like a like a completely desolate open world. It's like I could go all the way over there. It doesn't really have that. It feels more like like if No Man's Sky had like if it feels like they feel like No Man's Sky planets with specific hubs that you get to just fuck around in and just kind of interact with characters. It's all it's all about character interaction. And there's never a character that's too far away from you. Nothing feels like a, a complete slog uh, to get to. I do... I, I gotta say, I don't really miss the the grandiose, like, oh, whoa, look at this open world, because I've just seen so many f- friggin' open worlds at this yeah. point that I was happy to see that, like... I was almost, like, nervous to start the game. Because I was like, oh, my God, there's gonna be another one of these where I've gotta figure out where to go, and I've gotta, like, span this huge-ass map looking for something that's relevant... But it's really a lot more focused. It feels like uh, it feels like a dishonored almost in that way. I feel like there's a place for all of those, right? And yeah. I, I I remember we've talked about it, Fallout Three. Walking out of the vault was one of the most extraordinary moments I had ever experienced in a video game. Because it's cool. I had never just as a console gamer that was really my first exposure, having not played Oblivion or anything like that before. This was really my first exposure to be like, holy shit! Like this this really can happen and. So there's a place for that, and I like that, but the OCD gamer in me finds the Outer Worlds much more manageable because when you go to that open opening world and you figure out what's going on with the, the Spacer's Choice Corporation and you kind of find your first uh, companions and your first quests, there's a finite relationship with that place before you can go. And I like looked around and looked at my quests and looked at the map, and I was like, all right, I'm done here. And, and in that regard, it reminded me a little bit of Mass Effect, where I was like, okay... We have this galaxy map. We can go to all these places that have like you can't go to the Citadel Mass Effect and see every part of the Citadel. You go to the Citadel and you see like certain parts of it. And this game reminds me a little bit of that, which which is cool. So, yeah, I like that. It feels manageable. Again, a lot of people are saying it's pretty short by these kinds of game standards. Thank I'm God. not experiencing that yet, though. See, that's the thing is that I don't know how quickly people are playing through this because I'm just playing and taking my time. The other thing I'm doing, Chris, to your point about the performances after you hear a voice a few times and you read, I read, and I'm sure most people do read way faster than the voices are coming out. And I usually just skip that. In this game, I'm actually letting them read the lines and yeah. like sitting there because the faces are more immersive. The voice acting is very compelling. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I've really enjoyed. You see, you've been using lying and cunning and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been trying to use perception and like. Uh, like engineering and honesty or whatever <laughs> yeah. to like get around things. And it's, and it's worked to, to this degree where I've only fought a few people and I'm playing it on hard too. And at first I stopped, I actually was playing on hard and getting my ass kicked. And then I realized I just didn't understand really what I was doing. So, right. Uh, so yeah, I really recommend this game. I think that this game is really, really great. And 
I'm really happy for Obsidian, and I, I, I'm sad for us on PlayStation because this is going to be the last Obsidian game we get for a, a quite a while, if ever, because Microsoft now owns them, and this game was in development when they were purchased. So, you know, we can say hello and goodbye to them at the same time, yeah. I guess. But th- they've always been great. I mean, Obsi- I've only really been engaged with Obsidian since Fallout New Vegas, but they go way further back to the original Fallout games. And they made like, you know, Stick of Truth and some other games. I think uh, Pillars of Eternity or whatever that mm-hmm. game was is yeah. theirs. So they have a pretty, you know, that was a great acquisition by Microsoft yeah. in hindsight. <laughs> uh, that was the one that made a lot of sense compared to Playground and a few of these others that they found. I, I, I feel like that's the one studio they bought where I'm like, ah, Sony might have wanted to maybe try to get their hands on these guys. But uh, nonetheless, congratulations to them. Congratulations to uh, Private Division. Yeah. which I'm sure has a, a great hit on their hands. And uh, we'll do a spoiler cast on this in the next week or two and really sure. go into the story, really go into the gameplay, talk about it, submit, uh, solicit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. That will be an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, of course. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Chris, let's get through a few of these questions in regards to the medieval and outer worlds before we get into the news. Uh, Matthew James wrote in and said, Greetings, gentlemen. How does Mr. Raygun feel about the poor to average review scores for medieval? Um, and how to, so we already talked about how your views compare to the general consensus, but does it hurt you at all that that other oceans uh, medieval was caught in the mid sixes on Metacritic? I was hoping for something a little bit better for them. Uh, no, I mean, the, the original medieval has always been I mean, like I said, it, it is more of a I don't, I don't know, it, it, it's more of a charm game. Like to me, it's like I never really. The, the the magic in medieval was never in the gameplay of like you know killing zombies or anything. It was always like the charm of it, and I know for sure that that's gonna be lost on a lot of people. Uh, it's an old game, and they're remaking a, a PS1 game very true to form. That's main highlight was not the gameplay. So like I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me that it's not scoring particularly well. I imagine that if you see this game on a shelf and it appeals to you, it's pr- you're probably gonna like it. You know, I think if you see it, you, what you see is what you get with medieval. I think there's no like smoke and mirrors about it. So anybody going in to expect like I don't know some RPG <laughs> or like some uh, I don't know uh, Man of Medan or something like I don't know what you what you could possibly expect out of medieval. Honestly, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, Brian Shy wrote in and said, "Hey, Long Island Bert and Bronx Ernie, appreciate that." I guess. Been playing the Outer Worlds and loving it, but it hasn't been been without a bit of melancholy knowing that any sequels will likely be a Microsoft exclusive. Given my very shaken faith in Bethesda and the Fallout franchise, which studio among Sony's first party stable do you think is best equipped to handle a single player narrative and choice driven adventure game with deep customization, open structure quests and some D&D DNA baked in? I'm thinking of something akin to Fallout, Mass Effect or KOTOR. Thanks for churning out all of your amazing content. I don't know, Chris. See, the thing about this particular game and why Obsidian would have been such an interesting target for Sony is that they actually don't have anyone that can make this game. See, this is not making this is not segueing from Killzone to Horizon. I think that this is which Gorilla did very successfully. I think this is a much different step that requires way different uh, stabs and writers and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I guess Gorilla would be the one that can probably most reasonably handle it. But I don't know that. They have anyone that can make this game. And I'm not saying this game is better than Horizon. I actually think Horizon's a better game than The Outer Worlds. I just think that this level of game, of role-playing game, is not within the confines of Sony's uh, stable right now. No. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine one. And Jacob Klusterhouse wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, I don't know if it's just me, but I have seen no coverage of Outer Worlds or Medieval. Modern Warfare is dominating my news feeds. Will Outer Worlds and Medieval be forgotten and not even chart in the top 10? Well, Jacob, Medieval's not going to chart at all. It might chart in the PSN 
stuff that they release later on. I think the Outer Worlds will be in the top 10. Modern Warfare is going to be the best-selling game of the year, so it, it shouldn't be a huge surprise to you that Modern Warfare is sucking up a lot of the oxygen. I must say, Chris, I'm really looking forward to playing that game. It looks fucking good, and I, I'm hearing that it's great. I'm hearing that it's really great. Yeah, I haven't played so the we'll I haven't played the campaign yet. I played a little bit of the multiplayer, and I wasn't disappointed with it. So that's that's all my experience with it, though. Fair enough. Uh, we'll have more on that maybe next week. I'd like to. Yeah. In an ideal world, what I'd like to do is I want to platinum concrete genie and medieval and get those out of the way. Continue to play the outer worlds and get modern warfare. But as we're going to talk about, and there's more games coming up, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when we're going to be able to really dive in, but hopefully. Uh, next week because it's been a while we haven't actually talked about call of duty really at length on this show yet uh, yeah 70 episodes in chris let's get into the news there's not too much by volume but there's actually some big pieces of news that we have to talk about this week yeah uh starting with a surprising one yeah weird one yeah this is a weird one number one the last of us part two has been delayed barely a month ago publisher sony and developer naughty dog revealed a release date of february 21st 2020 but now, according to a blog post written by the game's director, Neil Druckmann, the game will now come exclusively to PlayStation 4 on May 29th of next year, a delay of three months and change. While acknowledging the recent release date reveal and the positive reception of the media's hands-on, Druckmann said in part, quote, It was during the last few weeks as we were closing out sections of the game that we realized we simply didn't have enough time to bring the entire game up to a level of polish we would call Naughty Dog quality. At this point, we were faced with two options, compromise parts of the game or get more time. We went with the latter, and this new release date allows us to finish everything to our level of satisfaction while also reducing stress on the team, end quote. Interestingly, Kotaku's Jason Schreier, who actually wrote about the delay shortly before it was revealed, noted on Twitter that Sucker Punch's Ghost of Tsushima, the only other post-Death Stranding PS4 AAA exclusive yet to launch, will be materially affected by Naughty Dog's delay. He wrote in part, quote, Ghost of Tsushima doesn't have a public release date yet, but it'll also be bumped to later in 2020 to account for this delay. Don't expect them to suddenly turn it into a PS5 game or anything, but it was originally planned for the first half of the year. Not anymore, end quote. Brian Lau wrote in and said, hey, Clicker Colin and Stalker Chris, Neil Druckmann posted on the PlayStation blog that The Last of Us Part Two will be delayed three months from February to May 29th, 2020. This news comes a month after they announced the February date during September's state of play. As you know, the exact same thing happened when Square Enix showed gameplay of Final Fantasy 15 with a huge blowout in the end to announce a November release date only to announce a delay a few weeks later. My question is, why do studios announce a date only to disappoint everyone a month later? The studio must know the game is not ready or needs a bit more time to polish. Why do these pushbacks happen after the date is out in the wild? I don't know. I think these are different things. A lot of people, a lot of snarkier people will think that this has to do with uh, investments and with financial years and all that kind of stuff. I don't know about that. I, I think with this particular issue, Naughty Dog has all of the control it wants over its game. And I think that what probably ended up happening, although I think they're loath to say it, is that they probably got material feedback during the hands-on sessions with media that they need to go change. And... Uh, that it requires them to have more time to polish. And I don't think they want to make it seem like they're making changes based on feedback they got from media, but they probably are because it's the first time that anyone outside of their doors has played it. So when you see a game for many years, you don't see the errors in it anymore. It's like when you read something over and over again and there's a blatant spe spelling error in it, you just don't see it. And then yeah. someone else is like, that's spelled wrong. So I think that it has something to do with that. And I also think, and he kind of explicitly says it, Neil does, is that I think they're trying to avoid heinous crunch that's going to give them more bad PR at a time when they can't afford it. Because if the bad PR starts coming out next year about their, their crunching and all that kind of stuff leading up to PlayStation 5, I think those optics are bad. So yeah. that's my theory. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty spot on. H how do you feel about the delay overall? 
I don't really care. No? No. Nah. Well, you're not a big fan of the game, I guess. So. I just like, the, to me, like, uh, a delay. I'd rather have a delay. You know? Just get the game done. You know, I don't I don't mind waiting another couple months as long as the game's good. So I feel, I feel the same way about Doom Eternal. Like, ah, whatever, you know? I was looking forward to playing that game, but I was almost like kind of relieved that it got delayed because I was like, okay, now I have time for the for like the Outer Worlds and like Modern Warfare and all this all this shit. Right, exactly. So exactly. it's just like ah, whatever. It's no skin off my bones. Just f- finish it. Yeah, delays, <laughs> as long as you finish it. Delays don't make games worse. Right. And so there's that. And yeah, I, I it's a little disappointing. I don't know why you release announce a release date so confidently and then move it. That's the thing that was like more confusing. It's like why even bother with the release date that soon you know like ah february for sure and it's like well you clearly you you couldn't have been that sure really right if you managed to change it like a few weeks later yeah it is a little weird yeah they're closing the game out so it's gonna be playable from beginning to end it probably already is and yeah well maybe we'll find out more maybe they'll be more candid although they're 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 not a very candid publisher so we'll find out in may and the disappointing thing although they didn't call it out i trust jason schreier is that this now affects another first party's game, and I wonder how they feel. I, I, if I were at Sucker Punch, I'd probably be pretty thrilled, actually, because this just inherently gives us more time. If they were aiming to get the game in the first half of the year, it seems like that was a May game, an April or May game, and now they get pushed to August or September, I'd be like, all right, I, I, that's not the worst thing in the world. That's for, probably for, a good thing, honestly. It, it means that game's probably going to be pretty, pretty solid. Right, and it'll be close enough. See, now we're getting close enough... And this is where the interest and the intrigue in what the launch games on PS5 are going to be from first party and second party, because now we're getting to the point where I know that that Schreier didn't say to expect it, but why can't this now be, why can't Ghost of Tsushima now be a, a Twilight Princess type game or a, a Breath of the Wild type game where it's playable on PS4 and PS5 and it's launched on PS5's launch day and you can buy it on either version of the game? It seems to me that would be kind of wise unless... You have some big AAA exclusives ready to go, and Ghost of Tsushima is just going to be in the way there. See, that's the only pincer that is unfortunate for them, is that if they get pushed too close to PS5, and by that point we know what PS5's launch games are going to be, we're going to know by that point, then they might be in this no man's land, which kind of sucks for them, but I don't think I don't think that's bad. Like, I don't, no. Ghost of Tsushima seems like a great game to release in July or August. Yeah, I would, yeah, I think so, you know. So we'll see. So we'll learn more from Naughty Dog, hopefully, next year as the game uh, gets closer, but remember, no longer coming out February 21st, now coming out May 29th. Number two, in a press release accompanying its recent financial results, publisher Ubisoft candidly discussed the state of some of its already released games and have additionally delayed a whole slate of its upcoming titles in order to increase their quality. Within the press release, Yves Gilmont, who's the head of Ubisoft, celebrated his publisher's successes, including continued positive numbers seen from Rainbow Six Siege and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. He then writes, quote, However, we have not capitalized on the potential of our latest two AAA releases. For Ghost Recon Breakpoint, while the game's quality appeared on track based on E3, Gamescom previews, and our internal and our latest internal playtests, critical reception and sales during the game's first weeks were very disappointing, end quote. The Division 2 sales were also apparently softer than expected, though not to Breakpoint's extent. Identifying some of the issues the games face, Gilmont later writes, quote, We are tackling these issues head on and already are implementing significant changes to our production processes. In this overall context, we have decided to postpone the releases of Gods and Monsters, Rainbow Six Quarantine and Watch Dogs Legions until 2020-2021. 
While each of these games already has a strong identity and high potential, we want our teams to have more development time to ensure that their respective innovations are perfectly implemented so as to deliver optimal experiences for players, end quote. The 2020-2021 refers to Ubisoft's next, next fiscal year, which begins in April of 2020. Therefore, these three games delayed will launch no sooner than April of 2020 and no later than March 2022. Josh wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, since Ubisoft delayed Watch Dogs Legion, God, Gods and Monsters and Rainbow Six Quarantine out of the spring, do you think that they are going to move these games to next gen? Maybe PlayStation 5 will launch with three Ubisoft titles. Thanks for the best being the best podcast out there. Thank you, Josh. It's definitely not going to launch with three Ubisoft titles. No, no, definitely not. They just compete. They would just cannibalize their own games at that point. But I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of these will. I, I think Watch Dogs is probably a PS4 game. Yeah, it seemed to be I, the I would, one that's closest. So yeah, I would expect that. Gods and Monsters is definitely a PS5 game. I don't think there's any really. I don't think there's any reason to think that it wouldn't be. Uh, Rainbow Six Quarantine, I think, is also PS4. I don't see why they would. Uh, it's interesting that they're choosing to do this because of Breakpoint. Apparently, the game is just bombing. Yeah. And to the extent that I actually I didn't add it to the news because it just didn't seem that noteworthy, but. Actually, the studio released a huge blog post today when we're recording this about Breakpoint about what they're going to do to fix the game, because apparently it's just not great. And Mm -hmm. that's a little surprising. I think Ubisoft has been known whether or not you vibe with their games. They have a real quality first orient to their to their development. I think more than almost anyone else. They release, I think, the highest volume of games that are of the highest quality. I think that. Activision obviously releases a couple of high quality games a year. Sony's games are high quality, but it seems like Ubisoft gets these games out and it's very rare that one of their AAA offerings is not good. I, to me, I like Watch Dogs is the original Watch Dogs is the last one I can think of where I'm like, this is a pretty mediocre game from my perspective by Ubisoft standards. And it's surprising to me that Division 2 didn't sell well because I think it's great. Mm-hmm. So I like that they candidly release this for their investors. They also talk, if you guys want to go read about the investment notes and what their plans are. He basically says that they're going to take a massive financial hit because of this. Um, And what he basically says is just stick with us because if you're an investor, because we're doing this in order to extract better long-term results that will make us more money in the long-term, which is nice, but it's nice to hear someone say that openly and talk about that saying like, we must sacrifice now to get these games better because that's not a move that an EA would make. No, definitely. (laughs) For instance, definitely not. So that's a little disappointing if you're looking forward to those games. But I think that this will net more positive results for Ubisoft. And I'm not especially excited to play any of these games. So uh, there's really no skin off my back as far as that's concerned. But we'll see how it all turns out. Number three, Sony has trademarked a bunch of new PlayStation related terms in Japan, according to website Gamatsu, indicating a longer term plan for the brand than we might think. Sony has officially trademarked PS6, PS7, PS8, PS9, and PS10 in its native country. Gamatsu reports that PS2 was trademarked in 1999 to be released in 2000. PS3 was trademarked in 2005 to be released in 2006. PS4 was trademarked in 2006 to be released in 2013. And PS5 was trademarked in 2006 to be released in 2020. So it seems that Sony is merely covering its butt. Yeah. Not a huge surprise. surprise. No, not a huge surprise. But funny nonetheless. And a lot of people were bringing up the PS9. Remember the PS9 commercials uh, during the (laughs) PS3 era, I think it was? Where they would, it would, they were supposed to be fake commercials for PlayStation Nine. Do you do you no, remember? No, I don't remember those. They would, it would be like an, it was like an orb, like a circular orb. It said PS Nine on it. Anyway, people were, they were. That was when PS Three had. For people that weren't around or aren't aware, PS 3s commercials in the beginning were fucking terrible. Oh yeah, uh, the baby commercials the baby and all that kind of stuff. The it was like that was like, the PS Three commercials were like control ads. 
Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were like, they were really, like, what the fuck? Really weird. Objects of power. But one of the things that people have been, one of the commercials for PS3 was for the PlayStation 9. As a, it was supposed to be like this weird meta right. thing. And so people have been bringing that up. Number four, struggling but apparently somewhat popular online RPG Fallout 76 is getting some new paid perks like private servers, as we discussed last week. But now we have much more information about Fallout 76's upcoming premium revamp. Bethesda is deploying a Fallout 76 centric membership called Fallout First, which includes those those private servers called Private Worlds in game and much more. If you if you subscribe, your in-game scrap box will be given infinite storage. You'll get a survival tent that can be placed in the environment for your use. You'll get a monthly stipend of one thousand six hundred and fifty atoms to spend at the atom shop and you'll get some outfits, icons and emotes. While seemingly innocuous, Fallout First has drawn wide derision due to its price, $12.99 per month or $99.99 per year. Worse yet, according to forum and Reddit complaints compiled by Polygon, the various updates are apparently broken, even catastrophically so. A man known as Mr. Figs wrote into us and said, What's up, Castlevania Colin and Crash Bandicoot Chris? Big fan since the days of Podcast Beyond. Thank you, Mr. Figs. My question this week is, is Bethesda doing a great job selling Outer Worlds with their constant fuck-ups? With the anti-consumer nature of the crazy annual Fallout 76 pass rolling out the same day Outer Worlds released, will Obsidian cash in on providing an experience that Bethesda simply isn't? And Colin, you have got to get bacon on your burgers. Chris is right. Uh, that was weird, right? So this Fallout first stuff did come out around the, around the launch date of... Outer Worlds, and the reason that this is relevant is because obviously Bethesda and Obsidian don't have a relationship with each other anymore, and this game is really supposed to be what Bethesda isn't delivering anymore. Is that a coincidence? <laughs> this whole thing is, uh, I can't help but kind of like be really, really amused by it. They have the very idea that, imagine not paying for Game Pass over this, you know? Like, the, the value that Game Pass has, the value that literally anything else has, compared to this private server, which, by the way, is not a private server. It's actually not. You get the privilege to play in a private world that ceases to exist the second the host leaves. So it's not even a server. It's not even, like, a persistent service. It's that they're charging for custom games, basically. That's weird. I thought that it would be a world where you can make it your own. Yeah, you think that, right? Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's standard practice, I think. I think that's a commonly done thing. I think people, uh, games that uh, operate like this do have paid private servers, but the catch is that they are private servers, and they are persistent, and they stay there regardless of whether or not the host is on the game or not. So it's, <laughs> this whole thing's been a, a disaster, but I, I do think it's been great for the Outer Worlds. Yeah, I'm sure if you're private division, you're pretty thrilled <clears throat> to have this free PR boon on a game that was already going to sell really well. And that is scoring on Metacritic. You know, famously, Fallout New Vegas scored an 84 on Metacritic, um, which allowed them to not get their bonuses from Bethesda, which were promised at uh, 85. And now they have an 86. So it's just uh, symbolically and optically, it's pretty interesting. But I think that there are a few things we can learn about Bethesda and Fallout 76 from this. First of all, and I, I keep saying this, Fallout 76 is bigger than we think. Mm -hmm. And... I think that that's something that people really have to keep in mind. Now, this was part of the plan, obviously, the entire time. They want to extract as much of their investment into the game as possible. But people are playing this game. And I think that right. that's one of the... It's not like Anthem. No, like, no, no I don't no, think no. anyone's playing Anthem. Yeah, I don't that, think that anyone's playing it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. But I think that people are playing Fallout 76. They are. And so there's that. But I think that the other thing we can learn about it is that Bethesda is willing to kind of eat shit, which I respect, and try to make the game better or at least service the game that they already sold and uh i don't know that you can disrespect that move even if you don't like 
the way that they're necessarily doing it and the charge of it. See, the reason that I'm not super critical about the money is because people spend uh, subscription dollars on all sorts of weird shit. Right. right. I spend ten dollars a month on Postmates so I can get lower delivery charges. Right. People pay pay five, two, one, ten, twenty five dollars a month for this. Mm, yeah. You know, for this show. Right. Right. And they consider that valuable. So I'm, I don't like when people walk around and be like, I'm fucking idiots. You can get Hulu for twelve ninety nine a month. It's like, yeah, but if you play Fallout 76 after work every day, then this is worth twelve ninety nine to you. And I think those kinds of attacks are a little tone deaf because people pay for our stuff. People pay right. subscriptions. If someone was like, why would you pay five dollars a month for sacred symbols? when you can get it for free. It's like, well, it's a valid question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. I want you to spend that money, but it's a valid question why you should ask it. And so I feel weird assaulting others. Well, the, th- the, for the thing same should that- function right, as advertised, if, if that's the case. Right. And we do function as advertised. Right. Sometimes. Which is the difference, I guess. We, we always deliver on time. Right. And the content's always good. And the th- I just don't get why, at least make it a real private. So that's so, it's so weird. It's just so weird. And the price is like, why not like six or seven? Yeah. I feel like people wouldn't care really if it was like six or seven. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, four ninety nine a month or it fifty dollars a year. Or something it, like it seems like tone deaf almost to to price it that high. To me, it's like you almost could have probably made way more money if you if you had it for less. Because there's obviously people playing it and they're obviously trying to extract value from the from the game because it's probably the best way that they see forward to continue to support it. They're finding the whales in the audience. I've got no problem with that. There's whales everywhere. Let the rich people put, uh, pay as much as they want to supplement the cost for the rest of the, the people playing the game for free. Fine. Totally get it. But you have to, like, offer something that works. And the fact... it's It's been hilarious. There's been, like, posts of uh, people. They... In the game, apparently, it lets you know... There's, like, a flare over characters' names or something that lets you know whether or not they've paid for premium content. So, like, the, those people have just been getting beat up by people in, like, weird costumes, which is, like, amazing. <laughs> almost, it almost makes me want to play the game That's to see That's fucking it. awesome. Isn't that great? Oh, they're, like, getting ganged up on and, like, <laughs> yeah. beat down. So, it's, like... Can it, they get their stuff stolen or something? Is that what you're doing? I don't think doing? so. They're I, just doing it the asshole. <laughs> but, 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 it, but the premise of it is, like, really... That almost makes me want to re-download it and check it out again, just to, just to watch that, that kind of thing awesome. happen. That is awesome. I love that. But I don't know, man. I, I I'd feel I'd be feeling really good if I was uh, Obsidian personally, just 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 from a sheer petty angle. Oh, you know what I mean? I love pettiness. I'm pettiness petty. is great. I'm petty as shit. I don't talk about my petty my pettiness to most people, but believe me, I'm watching. I'm petty and to I'm my petty. I'm petty to my core. My birth was a petty crime. <laughs> oh, I like that. Number five. Is there a method to the madness when it comes to Sony's deep, long-running, and undoubtedly pricey investment into Media Molecule's Dreams, a game that was first revealed in early 2013 and one that is only available in paid early access form? Well, possibly. Games Industry International spoke with the Sony-owned studio's co-founder and art director, Karima Tooney, who confirmed that what were long-held assumptions here on the show and elsewhere, what you make in Dreams can be used and sold and otherwise controlled by the creator outside of Dreams and even outside of Sony's PlayStation ecosystem. Tooney told the publication in part, quote, The very limited exporting features at the moment are like exporting a video, but we have in the long term plans for exporting a standalone game outside of Dreams entirely, exporting to other devices and beyond. But step one is to show our intent so that from the very beginning, we are doing this commercial concept, which means that everything you do in Dreams is yours. You can use it, end quote. He later confirmed something that's not exactly surprising, but something that's certainly still incredibly unusual in the Sony ecosystem. Media Molecule wants to get the game on PC and even Mac. Quote, 
The answer to every question is yes, but Dreams needs to reach a lot of people first. Our goal for Dreams is to last for 20 years and to keep expanding it and keep adding to it and keep improving it. But most of the PlayStation model is designed for a game to come out, it hits the market, and it makes most of its return in its first week. If it's a big game, it survives for maybe two or three sequels. We need to reach an audience and then grow, but it's definitely in our dreams to do a pro version that are that are pro versions that are expanded. It just depends on a lot of things working out for us, end quote. Joseph Dobbery wrote in and said, Greetings, Curvaceous Colin and Creamy Chris. In an interview with PlayStation Asia, Shuhei Yoshida noted that Sony has a 10-year vision for Media Molecule's dreams. He also reiterated that the idea behind the early access period was to focus on attracting creators rather than players, the latter of which will be more at home playing dreams when the game officially releases and has more content to enjoy, including a full campaign. Furthermore, in a Q&A session with GamesIndustry.biz, Karim Matuni, Media Molecule's co-founder and art director, cited that their vision is not only to eventually include a commercial license to the game, but also to allow things made in Dreams to be published outside of the PlayStation ecosystem. My question is this. What do you guys think this could spell for the game as we head towards PS5? Could it eventually receive a PC port, perhaps becoming a simplified alternative to Unity or Unreal? I could easily see this game engine becoming a cult hit within the PC community akin to Gary's mod. Chris, we've talked about this in the past, that there must have been more behind the scenes and with their intent. It seems like their intent with Dreams is to make an engine. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, I don't know about the wisdom in this. You might disagree and the audience might disagree, but well, like we're making a game now. We're using a, an engine, a pretty, propri- a pretty like normal engine that people make games on. But there are only so many engines. I don't know that the world is screaming for an accessible games engine. I, I, if that was the intent of dreams the entire time, it's a big mistake. And I don't believe that that was the intention of dreams the entire time. I think if it goes to PC, it would be wise. It would be wise to do that because they would eat it up a hundred percent because Gary's mod is huge. And Gary's mod, I believe is about as functional. I, I don't know. This feels weird because I feel like Sony isn't, isn't, afraid to just you know kill a studio you know what i mean or just be like ah get, get out of here you fucked up the car doesn't look right you know right in, in drive club get out of here <laughs> uh so it it strikes me as they, they must see something here that is at the very least reassuring to to continue to put this out because it's not a high profile game necessarily they wouldn't really it wouldn't really affect optics that much if they were to be like, hey, you know, Dreams is not working. Uh, it's done. You know, a lot of people would be like, what is that? <laughs> you know, because most people probably aren't playing it right now. So they must they must see some value in it that is material more than just like this ethereal uh, conceptual kind of idea. So, I mean, if if they're if the move is to PC and Mac especially is a super smart idea. I could see that being a pretty good investment, but I do, I don't know, man. I, I agree with you overall. I, I, I don't know what would make you want to choose the Mac version of Dreams over Unity or Unreal. Or Game Maker or any of or these Or Game things. Maker or what the licensing fees would be. I guess like the licensing fees would probably be like a lot lower. Yeah. Would be, the, would be the draw probably. That's probably the thing, Chris, is that. And it would be their kind of like almost the alternate way of getting games on other platforms without being necessarily PlayStation games. Sure. It's really that's actually a really great point because the licensing fees and owning and operating a, an engine are huge and they already have Decima, which I think that they want to keep internal. I don't know that they want to make Decima available to others, which I think is probably smart if they really believe in the engine. But for instance, I think Unreal Engine, which is Epic's engine, 
I think that when you commercialize your game, they just get 5% of all gross revenue of the game. Something like that. I think others like Unity charge like a flat rate and then you keep the game. So Mm -hmm. there's all these different avenues by which you use use the engine, you use middleware and stuff, and then you have to pay all these fees. So the long term goal could be to have a fee structure in Dreams using it as an engine. And then if you make like if someone makes a bit, it reminds me of Net Yerosi. We've talked about this in the past. Net Yerosi was was the PS1 dev kit. And it was available for 800 bucks to anyone who wanted to buy it. It was navy blue. It looked just like a PS1. It plugged into your computer and a few games came from it. I think that game Devil Dice on PS1 came from it and a couple of others. So like a couple of other commercial games came off of Net Eurozy. But that was like very primitive. And I think what they might hope is that like, hey, if we can get five games marketed in the next few years off of Dreams' engine, whatever they want to call it, if they want to call the engine Dreams, we can charge flat fees or 5% or 2% or whatever of revenue and just make all the money back that Media Molecule has been spending. If one of these games is big, but I just, I don't get that. You Because this gets a little nerdy, but Sony has a division called ICE, I-C-E. They run out of Naughty Dog and, they, and they're and they all about technologies and engines and stuff like that. And they deal with all these uh, technologies and they, and they try to figure out how things work and stuff like that. I'm like, they have really smart engineers making stuff. It seems like Media Molecule are artists making an engine for artists, which is cool, but I don't know. I I, I just don't know that there's any demand. I, I appreciate PSVR and Vita and all these things trying to like explore and dreams might be another exploration. But is, is this the direction you're going in now? And, and, and to the point, Chris, you know, we had that letter here from Joseph who talks about, you know, and people have been bringing this up that Media Molecule is swearing that it's going to have a campaign and stuff. I'm like, OK, what is this now? So it's 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 creation tools. It's going to have a campaign. It's going to be ported to PC and Mac. You're going to make games on it. You're going to license those games through Sony and sell them elsewhere. Then why does it matter if it has a campaign? I think this the the weirdest part and the saddest part of this is that they they've got a 10 year, 20 year plan for this game. So we're just not going to get Media Molecule games. I guess for the next 20 years. I mean, they'll they'll be lucky to have 20 months with this. And I'm not trying to be a dickhead, but Chris is right. Like evolution now evolution really fucked Drive Club up. There's a lot of evolution apologists out there, but they really shit the bed with Drive Club. It was really late. It was broken even when it came out. And they they shut that studio down. They shut them down. So Chris is right. Like Media Molecule staying alive means that Sony has a plan or they would shut them down. I mean, they just bought Insomniac. So it's not like Sony is being passive. They're being actually quite active in all these kinds of things. But I would love to be wrong. I like Media Molecule. I think that they're unique, but they're not being used or leveraged in a, in a way that can. they should be making games. Think of all the games they could have made in the last, you know, since 2000. They released Little Big Planet 2 in 2011. You know what I mean? Tearaway was made by like 10 people. It's not a real Media Molecule game. It was a side project. And a lot of those guys left. You know, so it's I don't understand why you have this team that you bought because they're smart and and canny and wily in the way that they make games. And then you're like, hey, make an engine. That's what Epic does. Mm-hmm. That's what Ice does. They make engines. Gorilla made Decima. That's what they do. Medium Molecule? What? They could have been making... I don't. I mean, Little Big Planet 3 came out. Sumo Digital did them. I'm not worried about them making another Little Big Planet game. Or Tearaway. But they they can make something that's not this. And they could have done it already. And they probably could have done two or three of them. Yeah. And that's a problem. I think that that's a massive mismanagement of resources. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. But I've been saying that about Medium Molecule now for seven years. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. Maybe I'll be wrong. I don't think so. Yeah. It is a shame that we just don't have Media Molecule games right now. Our goal for dreams is to last for 20 years. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. No offense. Good luck. Yeah. If that's your your guy's plan. 
Better get that game. That game better be on PC Toot Sweet if you want to. If you want to last uh, twenty years, they 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 there must be numbers though, right? There has to be something. I would assume they so. wouldn't just. They wouldn't like Sony wouldn't <laughs> like they wouldn't just keep this going. I don't think so. I, I think you're right. There has to be something. The pedigree of the studio is not that amazing to to warrant this. No, one. I mean, they made one one game, Little Big Planet. Little Big Planet it, was and they made was a sequel. Cool. You know, and yeah. they bought. Media Molecule was bought after a little bit of Planet. So actually under Sony's ownership, they've released one game, really. Yeah. yeah. They were purchased around the same time that Sucker Punch was purchased. Uh, and Sucker Punch hasn't held back on their games either. So it, it is a little weird. I, I think you're right. The metrics have to be there. But remember, Chris, what I said to you, which I thought was a weird thing for them to say that I think they regret saying, although I think no one remembers them saying this because I'm, I'm fucking crazy and I, re- I remember this kind of stuff. When they released the early access dreams, they said specifically, this is a limited edition we will only have so many ways to buy in once we hit a certain sales threshold you will not be able to buy the game anymore that was six months ago and you could still buy dreams early access so that was a mistake mm-hmm. no I, I don't think the numbers on dreams are good and th- this could be one of uh, several things but i think that this might be a stubborn thing th- th- there's it's possible that something big is under the hood that we don't understand i think it's equally as possible that they've doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on the studio to such a degree that now they have to see it through. But they've canceled games in the past. I mean, most famously, they canceled uh, Sony Santa Monica's space game three years into development and fired or laid off a bunch of them, including Stig Abinson, who was leading that game, who is now the creative director of Jedi Fallen Order. So it's not like... Yeah. It's not like they don't mix shit up and get involved with people that have a lot of pedigree and a lot of talent. You know, they got rid of Amy Hennig during Uncharted 4. Yeah. Yet this we'll yet see. this continues on. We'll figure it out. That's the, the it's it's the most unusual setup in Sony's first party. It's very weird. So there's I don't know. There's got to be something between them and Polyphony. It, they're weird. Like they they both like I don't know. They just are on an island by themselves. I guess Polyphony's technically on an island by themselves because they're in Japan. <laughs> no, no. You don't like my archipelago joke. Archipelago. Number six, multiplayer centric arcade shooter Helldivers first came to PS3, PS4 and Vita back in early 2015, and it was well received for its depth, its gameplay and its comical level of difficulty. Have you played Helldivers at all by the, by chance? I've. Yeah, it's so comical how hard it is. It's funny. Like, yeah, it's with, ridiculous. With friendly fire and shit. I think it's awesome. It gets uh, really frustrating. I think we've, we've played it in at my at my place. A bunch of my roommates will come together and we'll play it sometimes. It's tough. I had to stop. It's also notable because it's one of the very few PlayStation published games to also come to PC. And it's that expansive growth that has allowed developer Arrowhead Games to dedicate time to supporting the game even years after its release. Now, nearly five years after launch, the team is giving players a new update called Dive Harder. And it's free to download for any version of the game, including the PS3 and Vita legacy versions. The meat of Dive Harder is Proving Grounds, quote, a unique replayable mission, end quote, with different constantly changing challenges and win conditions. There have also been a bunch of game-wide tweaks and fixes that have been made. I was reading in a little bit to Arrowhead. Sony doesn't own Arrowhead, but they've not made a game since this came out. They've been working only on Helldivers. There's, this is another one of those very mysterious games that came out and found a hardcore audience of mm-hmm. quiet people. Yeah, people are really into it. That have been playing it for so long that five years later, the studio is releasing updates to it, and they're releasing the updates on PS3 and Vita. 
which is unbelievable because even like Minecraft stopped releasing updates on PS3 and Vita. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I thought that that was really, really cool. And I can't help but if there's to wonder if there's going to be a sequel to this game because this is one of those quiet churns that seems like a shovel knight kind of deal. Yeah. In the sense that it just like the studio, these guys have made other games. You guys can go read about Hell or about Arrowhead, but seems like maybe we'll get a sequel out of it. And it seems like yeah, I remember playing this game in Germany for the first time before PS3 or PS4 came out. And I was so delighted by it. Yeah. I was like, this game is fucking crazy. It's so <laughs> hard. Like you. It's ridiculous. You deploy a turret and then the turret's just killing all of your guys because the turret, there's not enemies nearby or whatever for the turret. It's like. I really like it, and I know that's a turnoff to a lot of people, but I thought it was cool to mention them and give them props because, yeah, and to give Sony props because you they're, they're if funny. you haven't played Helldivers, it definitely check it out. It's not for everybody, but it's 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 a uh, it's a fun time, especially with friends. Like if you can get like a group of like a like a couple people to play with you, you'll be screaming at each other, which I think is the best shit. I love that shit. Me too. Me too. And uh, you'll know. Uh, the studio Arrowhead, they're Swedish. They released the game Magicka and the, sh- the Showdown Effect, uh, both with Paradox. And then they released that WB Gauntlet game in 2014 that was somewhat well-received. But th- this is their... Uh, I'm, I'm looking again. They have not released a game since, and they still ha- uh, support a team of 50. That's a that's a hit. That's a hit as far yeah, as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm really fascinated by that, especially because Arrowhead was probably paid a flat fee for the game. So Sony has probably been coming back, unless they had a nice little percentage on it or whatever, but Sony's probably been coming back to the well to support it. And I think that's pretty cool. So I wanted to give them a shout out in that. Uh, and uh, yeah, go check out Helldivers. I think it was free on PS Plus at one point. I don't know if that's, I'm not positive about that. But everyone, you know, we always try to tell you guys to go download your PS Plus games. If you've been doing that like a good boy or girl, uh, you should just go check your, you might have it. You might literally own it yeah. right now and don't even know. You don't know any better. Who knows? Number seven, videos have been making the rounds in recent days regarding the catastrophically broken state. Uh, WWE, or WWE 2K20 is in. WWE 2K20 is unique in that it's the first time in 20 years that a studio other than Japanese dev Yuke's led the game's development. Instead, 2K-owned studio Visual Concepts took the reins, the team famous for its incredibly well-received NBA 2K franchise. While Visual Concepts has been working in an auxiliary role on WWE 2K for years, it's likely not a coincidence that these issues cropped up with their first go, and the issues are so substantial that publisher 2K has promised to deal with the issues with haste. In a tweeted statement, 2K said, quote, We are listening closely to the feedback that's been shared regarding WWE 2K20 and are aware of the concerns some players are reporting. We're working hard to investigate these concerns and address them as necessary. We expect to have an initial patch ready in the next two weeks with others to follow, end quote. And Linz 27 wrote in and said, hey, CMCM, 2K have faced a deserved backlash due to the poor quality of WWE 2K20 with the game being a step back graphically, having missing features and just being glitchy as hell. See Twitter for hilarious videos. Sony is even granting refunds. It's so bad. Should companies who release unfinished and broken games be liable for legal action? When they market the game, they sell fans on updates and new features. So when a game comes out this poor and leagues below the last year's entry in the series, I feel they have lied to their customers and sold them a false promise. I don't know about the legal or the litigious like um, liability that they hold, but have you been seeing the videos for this game? They're They're amazing. Fucking awesome. It almost makes you want to buy the game. I'm not going to lie. It looks so broken. I don't want it patched <laughs> like this would be a great stream game or like a oh yeah. it's so so weird there, yeah. I've, I've seen faces fall off dude I've seen people like uh, jettison around rings 
It's such a surreal fucking thing to see. I can't believe that they released the game like this. This is this is weird for multiple reasons. Number one is that WWE 2K series is somewhat well respected. People like them. I don't think that anyone's been impressed by them. But that studio Ukes has been making these games forever and people have a bit of a, of a familiarity with them. The second thing is that visual concept is owned by 2K and they're an incredibly well respected studio. Visual concepts is one of the, the greatest sports studios in the world. So the fact that they released this game is a horrifying sign. And if you do want the game broken, because the game is so historically broken that like it's interesting, the digital version will be patched. If you really care, get the disc version because you'll always get the 1.0 version of the game that they will not be able to patch. You can always delete it. The videos, you know, per Nlins 27's letter, the videos are awesome. If you, yeah. if you guys want to go, just go on Twitter and search for the game. I've never seen, I mean, I've seen it, but not in recent years I ever, have I ever seen a game like this. Like where, I'm sure it's not always broken like this, but it is breaking. It is, it, the game doesn't break, it melts down. Like from what I've been seeing, like where the game actually starts to melt down. Yeah. Like where nothing, one thing breaks and then the next thing breaks and then it just starts to go It's, it's like haywire. you're watching somebody try to figure something out and they have no hope. They have no hope of figuring it out. It's it's funny as hell, man. I I, I actually was laughing out loud watching some of these videos. Yeah, no, they're great. So <laughs> they provided me with uh, tons of laughter already. So. so we'll see. But I think so the legal liability thing, I don't think so. But we have to ask ourselves why publishers are comfortable. They didn't. They didn't know that the game was like that. They, uh, yeah. Of course, of course they, they fucking did. knew that the game was We're like. We're looking that. into concerns. I two hate, weeks I hate for that. a patch. I hate, two weeks. I hate that jargon shit. It's like you knew the you knew what you put out, right? How the how do you not know what you put out? Come on. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're a punk band, and we just put out this Enya record by accident. Whoops. Sorry. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't. I I, I just hate the, the the saving face. Like, it's way better to just be like, uh, whoops. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're right. Ukes. I just see them right now as the Herman Cain slowly smiling gif. <laughs> you know. Yeah. As as the game came out or whatever, because they were removed and apparently. I don't know much behind the scenes, but apparently it wasn't friendly. Like visual concepts had been working in an auxiliary role, like I said, on the game for years. And I think they, they just swung over. And that might have always been the plan. But apparently Ukes is making is working on making their own proprietary wrestling game in response to them losing the license. So it reminds me a little bit of Fire Pro and some of these other more niche wrestling games where I think that if Ukes could just put a couple of years into something solid, even without a license, that they'll probably have a really eager audience or... 2K could try to bury the hatchet and bring them back into the fold, but which would probably actually make them a lot of money at Ukes. But that's kind of a, you know, when you've been making a game for 20 years and are removed from it and then see the results from visual concepts, which is a great studio. Again, not it's, trying to insult them. Be, it's, gotta, studio. it's gotta be some form of like, yeah. Oh, definitely. I would love that. I would love it too. I'd be like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> see, it's not so easy, is it? It's not so easy to make an annualized wrestling game. Number eight, this is a wrap-up. Website Push Square reports that top-down Darksiders spin-off Darksiders Genesis is coming to PlayStation 4 on February 20, in February 2020 after a period of Stadia exclusivity, which is interesting. Website Gamatsu reports that strategy game Immortal Realms Vampire Wars has been delayed and is now coming to PS4 in the spring of 2020. Can you come up with a more generic name than that? Immortal Realms Vampire Wars. <laughs> Sounds like a mobile game. And that Hospital Sim 2 Point Hospital has been delayed out of its Q4 2019 release window and will now be coming to PS4 in the first half of 2020. 
Publisher Curve Digital has revealed the release date for its Narcos-themed turn-based strategy game, one we talked about a few weeks ago. Narcos Rise of the Cartels, based on the Netflix series, launched on PS launches on PS4 and elsewhere on November 19th. The PlayStation blog reports that beautiful side-scroller Earth Knight is coming to PS4 on December 3rd. And finally, Gamatsu relays word out of Japan that Square Enix is hiring for a new Kingdom Hearts game. Or perhaps even a full series. Excited about that, Chris? A little new... I mean, it's not a surprise, I guess. Give me a headache, honestly, the second I heard it. Chris, as tradition dictates, it's time for us to get through the new game releases. Oh, boy. Look at how many there There's are. There's so many of them. God damn it. it I Stop mean, it. Calm so... down, everyone. It's fall. There's so many of them. It's fall. Call of Duty is out. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm losing my mind, actually. Like, I'm... So, I'm all right. I don't understand. I don't understand it either, man. I mean, knowing when we're trying to get... I'm not going to talk too much about it yet, but knowing when I'm aiming to get our game out, it's like I would never release our game this fall. Ever. I, I just, uh, whatever. Uh, 39 Days to Mars comes to PS4. Embark on the 19th century's most unreliable spaceship in this two-player co uh, couch co-op adventure. 39 Days to Mars is a unique game designed to be played with a friend, where both players have important roles in the expedition. Solo players are aided by c the computer-controlled ship's cat. All right. After Party comes to PS4, and After Party, you are Milo and, and, and Lola. Recently deceased best buds who suddenly find themselves staring down an eternity in hell. But there's a loophole. Out drink Satan and he'll grant you re-entry to Earth. Time to go on the best bender ever. I'm really looking forward to playing that. It's getting pretty good reviews. That is cool. I like yeah. the... Uh, I've been excited about this one. Annihilation comes to PS4. Annihilation is a top-down arcade shooter. Defend your base from waves of enemies that spawn in random variations for endless fun. Try your... <laughs> Sounded so sarcastic. I'm sorry. I know, dude. Try to <laughs> try to earn high scores and go for perfect scores. Grab a friend and fight off waves of enemies together in in a special co-op mode, or go head to head in versus mode. Prepare for the onslaught. Annihilation. How do you even name your game that? Same I mean, as the movie. There are like 17 games named Annihilation. There was that movie that was like called that that was apparently good that I didn't see because it was called that. Mm, it was like such a generic name. I love that word, Annihilation. It's, it's good. It's a good name. I bought a G.I. Joe when I was a kid called Annihilator, and I thought it was a, an Annihilator in my mom. And, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, remember, I remember very clearly my mom correcting me. That's how I knew that, that word. <laughs> kind of like how I learned the word quarreling from Zelda, A Link to the Past. Nice. Anti-Graviator comes to PS4. Anti-Graviator is a sleek new take on the anti-gravity racing genre. Use traps, power-ups, and boosts to overtake your opponents and dominate the track in single-player or multiplayer mode. With no speed limit holding you back, Anti-Graviator delivers the fastest racing experience of the future. Oh, yeah. I'm excited Chris gets to read this one. Atelier Ryza, Ever Darkness, and the Secret Hideout comes to PS4. Tired of village life, Ryza and friends leave the village and head to the isle across the shore as, the, as their first adventure. With the alchemist and others, it's a, it's a summer adventure they'll never forget. Man, you really sold that one. I'm just... So much. Blind Spot comes to PSVR. Blind Spot is a story-driven VR adventure game. Explore rooms, solve puzzles, follow your heart, and decide what is the truth in the end. <laughs> what the hell? All right. It's a PSVR game. Cool. We got another one. Castle Costume uh, comes to PSVR. Castle Costume is a platform action adventure game set in a semi-open world environment and played from a third-person perspective. It's very literal. Yes. Uh, travel between four worlds, uh, which can be explored without time limits. Thanks. <laughs> Throughout the game, unlock different abilities and befriend characters as only together. Can you survive or can you save Halloween? You said it came to the PSVR. It's coming to PS4 just in case the five people out there that might want to look at it. Oh, whoops. Yeah. 
Citadel Forged with Fire comes to PS4. Citadel Forged with Fire is a massive online sandbox RPG crate with elements of magic, spellcasting, and inner kingdom conflict. As a newly minted apprentice of the magic arts, you will set off to investigate the dangerous world of Ignis. Your goal, create a name for yourself and achieve notoriety and power among the land's ruling houses. Close to the sun comes to PS4. It's 1897. Deep in international waters, the Helios still stands. An unbound utopia for scientific research born of Nikola Tesla's vision. Journalist Rose Archer steps aboard in search of her sister Ada, quickly to discover not all is as, as it seems. The stench of rotting flesh lingers in the air. Silence. A single word is painted across the entrance. Quarantine. All right. Cool Painter VR Deluxe Edition comes to PSVR, and this is spelled Cool Painter without an E for some reason. Enjoy the full the full Cool Painter VR experience and bring out the artists you have inside with the Deluxe Edition, where, in addition to the original game, you will get the Voxel DLC as well as future gifts. Draw in space and share your creations with other artists. The only limit is your mind. I don't know why it says it says the only limit, ellipsis, is your mind. Good Lord. Delta Squad comes to PS4. Delta Squad is an arcade game that will bring back memories of games from the 90s. <laughs> but with a fresh look for that's, the modern era. That's so unusual. Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the animosity. I'm so sorry. I'm having a bad day, evidently. Having already survived an alien invasion in full blast, the Delta Squad must now do battle against General Rumanovsky, a, a maniacal... Keep. It's always mechanical when I read that. Maniacal overlord who will stop at nothing to achieve global domination. Delta Squad is the name of the squad in Gears of War, which is uh, strange. Also, the Delta Squad just or Delta Force just killed the ISIS leader in uh, that's right in the Middle East. Uh, did you watch Donald Trump talk about it? No, I didn't. He was like pissing. Donald Trump went on for like a half an hour about dude. It's so it was so funny. I don't care what anyone says. It was so funny. Like be like he died like a coward. He died <laughs> sniveling in a corner. <laughs> you know, like I was like, this is awesome. This is so unnecessary. <laughs> By the way, did you see apparently that a dog, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of our dogs, like our GI dogs was one of the ones that took him out. Oh, that's great. And then he blew himself up Aww. and the dog got injured, but the dog was uh, healed and returned to duty. The dog killed ISIS. The dog apparently chased a dog. So a dog, they apparently were in this compound. There's a bunch of firefights that dealt with our, you know, our, our special ops people and they dispatched some canines. One of the canines apparently chased the, the ISIS leader down like a dead end. The ISIS leader had a vest, a suicide vest on and he blew himself up because he's a bitch. And then uh, the dog apparently was hit by like, you know, the explosion yeah, yeah. Hurt, hurt the dog. So they healed the dog and apparently the dog is now uh, returned to duty. Imagine blowing yourself off to save yourself from a dog. Well, also, a dog killed ISIS. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Where are we? This guy who really <laughs> get off track. Disgaea 4 Complete Plus. I think this is my turn, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Comes to PS4. When the ruling powers of Hades are revealed to be corrupt, Valva, Valva Torres, Valva Torres, I don't know what that says, must spark a rebellion to bring them down. Armed to the teeth with dynamic, over-the-top gameplay and a horde of special features, this is the ultimate Disgaea. I never could get into Disgaea. I always wanted to because I really love turn-based, grid-based strategy role-playing games. But it's one of those games where you do like 8 trillion points in damage and stuff like that. And I'm like, what? I hate this shit. Like I, immediately when I see that, I'm like, nope. And yeah. then I move on to the next to the next thing. I'm like, why am I doing this much damage? Why am I? Why does this enemy have 64 trillion hit points? Literally. It's a bit it's a bit insane. 
Disney classic games Aladdin and The Lion King come to PS4. Two of the most beloved Disney games of all time make their long-awaited return to modern consoles in Disney classic games Aladdin and The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Featuring multiple game versions, in-game rewind, museum features, and more. I'm looking forward to playing that very much. Trophy list is fucking garbo, but I'm going to look forward to playing it nonetheless. That's a shame. Dusk, you don't give a fuck. Don't patronize me. That was a Seinfeld. I know. You damn fool. I know. I love that gif. It's a, I, I, you, that the, gif. And when he's eating the popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the Kramer, like, that's true, is another good one. Yeah. And we're living in a society. There's a bunch of good George ones. Yeah, yeah, great. Can you tell we're really excited to be reading the game? <laughs> Dusk, I know, we're like just, we're just making it longer. Dusk Diver comes to PS4. I already thought, I thought this was out, but I guess not. When an unstable dimensional rift brings together gods, phantoms, and humans, headstrong high school girl Yang Yumo must step up to protect the neighborhood. Fight alongside your guardians as a part of a dynamic action-oriented combat system in the bustling streets, stores, personalities, and even cuisines of Taipei. Oh, that's cool. I've never played a game in Taipei before. Yeah. Ghost Parade comes to PS4. (laughs) There's something spooky in the woods, and it needs your help. Team up with 30 ghostly companions, each one leading a u- lending a unique ability. Explore this spine-tingling, scrolling in action adventure, and work together to get everyone safely home. There's something spooky in the woods, and it needs your help. That was written again. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, didn't you just say that? Yeah, that was written again. Harvest Moon? What? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still reading this other one. Harvest Moon Mad Dash comes to PS4. Go solo or take or take along a few friends in this fast-paced farming frenzy. Harvest fish, milk, and more as you fulfill orders to complete each level. But watch out for molten lava, raging boars, and other obstacles. Can you and your friends try to clear all the levels to restore the broken lighthouse? Okay. They just totally copied Overcooked. That's just Overcooked. Yeah. That's fine, but you copy you copied Overcooked. Yeah. Lost Artifacts Time Machine comes to PS4. A mysterious villain is using a time machine to destroy everything in his path. He wants to return the he wants to return the priest, the king of Atlantis, and the ancient emperor so he can use them to create a new world order. Claire and her friends must find out who the villain is and stop him and all his minions. Hurry, let's go on a journey. <laughs> Hurry, let's go on a journey. I like that. Your your half-ass reading makes these bad ones even worse. <laughs> I'm sorry. A mysterious villain is using a time machine to destroy everything. He wants to return. Why wouldn't that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like, how do you even deliver that? He wants to return the priest. He wants to return the priest, the king of uh, the king of Atlantis and the ancient emperor so he can use them to create a new world order. Whatever. Return. Whatever. Like he took them and he's trying to put them back. I guess so. Why would he take them? It's like a library book. (laughs) I'm just going to return this priest. Miles and Kilo comes to PS4 and Vita. Miles and Kilo have been attacked by a mischievous specter with their plane in pieces and a gang of thieving scoundrels running off with the important parts. The unfortunate duo's only hope of escape is to embark on a thrilling chase across a haunted island. Quibbit's quest comes to PS4. It's your job to protect Quibbit. Welcome to the Rover Blaster Tactical Team. All right. Huh. Your mission is to ensure the safe delivery of Quibbit's communication and data. Be careful. Quibbit has a tough exterior, but is easily distracted. You must keep him safe at all times. The success of the resistance depends on you. Follow Quibbit on adventures and play with friends. Say Quibbit again and I'm going to fucking kill you. Quibbit, Quibbit, Quibbit. Oh. <laughs> so it's an escort mission. Great. It's a, yeah. I, someone should make a, a like a spoof game called Escort Mission or something like that. That's what this is. Yeah. But just call it that. Call it. Yeah. We should make one. Yeah, we should. 
Sounds like a real winner. Spirit of the North comes to PS4. Spirit of the North is a single-player third-person action, or I'm sorry, third-person adventure game inspired by the breathtaking and mysterious landscapes of Iceland with various pieces of Nordic folklore. The game purposely has no dialogue or narrative. Breathe in the surroundings to solve various puzzles and speculate the meaning of a lost ancient civilization. Okay. It's weird. I, when I went to Iceland, I barely had any dialogue with anyone either, so it's not yeah. a huge surprise. Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion HD Renovation comes to PS4 and PSVR. Can you survive 1,000 rooms of cute terror? Or will you break once the cuteness starts to fade and you're running for your life from the unspeakable hideous beings that shake and writhe in the bowels of this house? <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, that's great. VR is, op- <laughs> VR is optional and you can play through the entire game in VR. Wait, what? They should have said that you can play through the entire game in VR, though it is optional. Yeah, that why can't a, people write? That's a weird. It's really not that. It, that hard. was a great write-up up until then. Yeah, it's really. Not I like that, that a lot. It's not, it's not that difficult. Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD comes to PS4. They're making these. Hold on to your bananas because Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz HD is rolling your way. Experience the magic of one of the most beloved titles in the series, now remastered in HD. I never liked those games very much. Uh, Stress. They stressed I, me out. I liked. I don't know if I ever played it, but did they play anything similarly to like Marble Blast? Yeah. Actually, because I like the Marble Blast, even though it, I you're just keeping I think a I ball anger. on like different routes, like thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember shit stresses me out. That game gave me anger issues. The Forbidden Arts comes to PS4. The Forbidden Arts <laughs> is an action adventure platformer with a focus on discovery and exploration. When the hero of the game, Phoenix, <laughs> seeks the counsel of a druid to make sense of his visions, she awakens the latent pyromancy Whoa. within him. Ooh. This begins an epic journey from Phoenix's humble beginnings as he seeks to master the element of fire. What a convenient uh, thing that he's named Phoenix. Yeah, right? Super, uh, whatever. Twin Cop comes to PS4. Twin Cop is the most cooperative game ever. You and your friend are Twin Cop. One player controls the right arm and the other controls the left arm. You and your partner now each control half of the same body, so you're really going to need to be in sync with one another if you're going to survive. Sounds like somebody, like, talking about having played it yeah it's uh i like that yeah it sounds cool it's, it it reminds me of one of those annoying games like i've talked about how much i think uh octodad was like the most obnoxious game in the world it was fun for like five minutes and yeah then it was horrible <laughs> so that sounds like it could be sounds like it could be that probably vector wars with a k comes to ps4 the year is 2024 it's not even that far off anymore oh, no. that's so weird and you are commander james moses a space ranger your mission, destroy the robot death army, mm. rescue the robo dudes, and save the world. Select your weapon and use your skills to face down a tidal wave of rogue robots. Frantic gameplay and array of loud and destructive weaponry, you must cheat death at every turn. Hmm. How fun. So it takes place in five years, interesting. Vosaria Layer of the Forgotten comes to PS4, a pump-action 2D side-scrolling game with different enemy types, along with a jump-to-the-roof mechanic that spices up the combat. Avoid traps, survive enemy encounters, and upgrade your weapons and gear to overcome the challenges. Whoa. Voyage of the Dead comes to PS4, an action-packed shooter set on a cruise ship overrun by a zombie outbreak, uh, where up to four players can get caught in the chaos. It's your job to fight against a horde of undead menaces and protect the passengers. Mars, Lightcon, and IR station are needed to play this game? I don't know what that is. Mars, Lightcon, and the IR station. I guess that's a... Oh, this is a light gun game. So you're going to need a, a oh, light gun peripheral. Weird. All right. That's guess interesting. It, I guess that's useful information. Yeah. I didn't even know that there was a light gun for yeah. a PS4. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I guess obviously. Well, there's they that, were talking about that, the House of the Dead remakes, right? So I guess that, yeah. those would also use that. There's one for the PSVR, I assume, right? 
Yeah, well, the PSVR is a light gun. Yeah. So, so. yeah, all right. That's a good point. Xeno Crisis comes to PS4. That's with an X. Xeno Crisis is an arena shooter in which one or, or two players control battle-hardened Marines on a deadly mission to confront an alien menace. Run and gun your way through thousands of adversaries as you explore the devastated research outpost, searching for survivors and ultimately facing the origin of the outpost's demise. Yakuza 4 comes to PS4. As part of the Yakuza Remastered Collection, experience Yakuza 4 in 1080p and 60 frames per second. A murder in Tojo clan territory soon sets off an investigation by a small Tojo branch. Uh, Come on, uh, Sega. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the four playable protagonists as they unravel. Uh, what? As they unravel a battle over money, power, status, and honor, and a mysterious woman at the center of it all. Interesting. So that's uh, that's all the two million games that are coming out. A lot of stuff. I think the only stuff for, uh, after party is worth your attention, and uh, Disney classic games looks pretty cool. I'm sure some of these others are fine, but you guys can write in and tell us if you want. Yeah. Otherwise, there's a lot of other games for you to focus on right now. Yeah. Chris, let's end the show as we always do with Swix. Uh, with Swix. This Wh- gun coming to Chris's mouth in uh, t- t- in 2020. Whoa. Getting sick oh. of reading all these fucking things. I know. Man. Stop God releasing damn. games. Just like space them out a little bit, please. I know. That was grueling. That was. I, I think last week's might even be longer. Strange. God help us. As we always end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Let's start with Seth Silkies. Silk. I can never say this name. I- Silkus. <laughs> S-L-Y-K-H-U-I-S. That's a lot of letters that don't yeah, really like, go, to, it's like go together. Sli- slick, slick house? Slick, slick, Slickwiss? Slickwiss. Whatever. Hey, world's finest. Why do some games run worse on the pro? I'm playing Trails of Cold Steel 2, a fucking Vita game. And anytime there's a particle effect, the frame rate drops to single digits. Same with Bully, Control, and Borderlands. Why is no one talking about the pro doing the complete opposite of its intended purchase. Okay, well, hold on a second. Mm. There's no way that Control runs better on a base PS4 than it runs on the Pro. There's no, I, I, you couldn't make me believe that if you brainwashed me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I have, have you heard the stuff though that Pro runs games weird? Some games. I know that it runs games weird. Yeah, because it's not like a a proper. It's touted as like a 4K machine, but it's like really kind of like a, it's like a cheaty kind of way of getting it. But I, I don't. There's, it runs games badly for what it is for sure. But I don't know if it runs games worse. Yeah, I was going to say. Because worse implies that it's running games worse than the base PS4. Yeah, Trails of Cold Steel 2 is a Vita game. That's true. And it was also on PS3. He's saying it, Particle Effect, the frame rate drops to single digits. I mean, that's a port. Yeah, so that's a, that's a port job. That's I, a, that I, has nothing to do with the hardware or the, like, uh, no. Like, that's, that's entirely a developer thing. The thing he says here, Bully. Bully. Bully, the PS2 classic? Yeah. Runs doesn't run well in the pro i guess he's saying in borderlands the original borderlands doesn't run like borderlands remastered doesn't I thought run. borderlands was fine yeah i don't know I, seth I'm, I'm interested in reading I, I wanted to read this because i want to hear more from you guys if you're having specific issues that are relevant to pro versus ps4 classic where the ps4 standard model is running games better i've been hearing that these things have been happening to people and that pro is fucking certain games up but Trails of Cold Steel 2, that's a weird one on me. It could be possible that the pro is not, not working with certain games that are just not engineered to deal with it, but Control on pro didn't run well for me, but it can't possibly be better on PS4 standard. I don't know about that, but we'll see uh, if you guys want to write in about that. And hey, that reminds me because we were talking about Control. I totally forgot. The, one of the cool things about the Outer Worlds that I totally forgot to talk about, which we'll talk about in depth, I'm sure, in our spoiler cast, the menus work. The menus work in the game 
when you when you go to the menus, they work. Oh, in Outer Worlds? Or in Outer Worlds, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. It felt new, refreshing. I the pause like, menu works. I'm like, wow, like you can go to something and it actually does it. Whoa, dude, if I press up on the D-pad, the thing that I'm highlighting goes up one. Whoa. It's and it doesn't crazy. take eight seconds for that to happen. It's pretty crazy stuff. And there's no flashy animations to fuck. <sighs> I'm calm. I know. We're getting, we're a little angry. We're, like, we're getting a little aggro today, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, sorry. Well, it's both it's of too us. Much, uh, too much Red Bull today. Did you re- drink a little Red Bull? I drank a lot of Red Bull this morning because of all the NyQuil I had last night. Oh, wow. So that's your counteracting it. I see. Yeah. Because yeah. you do. You seem a little more... Um, I'm a little antsy. Yeah. I was going to say, you seem... You're a little more up in your chair. Yeah. You're a little more... You got two hands on the phone. Yeah. I'm ready usual. to uh, kill. Well, me quite too. Quite frankly. Me too. George Anthony Nunez wrote in and said, Greetings, Colin and Chris. Last Christmas... I gave you my heart. I'm liking. Last Christmas, I received the PlayStation Platinum gaming headset, which supports 3D audio. They are my first gaming headset ever, and my experience with them is amazing. 3D surround sound is awesome, but I noticed there are not many games that utilize the 3D audio technology, and the Platinum headset has been on the market for two years. My question, is 3D audio just another fad that will die like 3D TVs? Or is this mismanagement from Sony not pushing and supporting great tech like the PS Vita? Keep up the great work and keep fucking that chicken. Thank you, George. Chris, how do you feel about 3D audio? I'm a little confused about it. What's the difference between 3D yeah. audio and surround sound? What is the difference? I don't give a shit. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. I haven't experienced it. I have a feeling if I experienced it, I'd be like, that's neat. And then I would go back to playing my games normally. And I would probably see very little difference. I I, I don't know what the benefit is. I guess it makes worlds feel more realistic. But like even then, I'm like, I, I, I'd rather my worlds feel functional. You know, if there's a sound that I need to hear, I'd rather it be designed in such a way that I can hear it. Right, right. I don't know if I care that much about how realistic things sound. Wikipedia says 3D audio effects are a group of sound effects that manipulate the sound produced by stereo speakers, surround sound speakers, speaker arrays, or headphones. This frequently involves the virtual placement of sound sources anywhere in three-dimensional space, including behind, above, or below the listener. Isn't that just surround sound? Yeah, I'm confused what the difference is between 3D audio and surround sound. I've been confused by this for a while. I've played like Halo. I wanted to read this because I thought you would know. You seem to know all well, this. Well, because I've played like Halo with surround sound, and there's like, you know, oh, the sounds to the left of me are coming out of the left speaker, and the stuff that's coming from behind me is coming out from the speakers behind me. Is that not 3D audio? I'm saying that sounds right. Okay, so here's a thing from... 2016 surround sound versus 3d sound though they have their differences surround sound and 3d sound are used in very similar ways surround sound involves placing multiple speakers around a room to put you in the center of the action it makes watching movies and television more realistic with 3d sound not only do sounds come from the left and the right of you they also come from above and below you basically it turns things up, turns up a notch but if you have your headphones in with surround sound isn't the noise like if a spaceship is landing doesn't the noise come from above you? I think this is a. I think this is like an over overvalued fad for sure because like there are games. Maybe this is explaining why it's not. No because one cares. there are games specifically like in in classic Halo or like a lot of old shooters, you can hear when people are above you. Like I specifically remember being like, oh, th- those footsteps are coming from above me, and I didn't need surround sound at all. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know. This this if it's a thing, and it appears to be, it definitely does feel like one of those things that's like kind of a fad or maybe if it's not maybe it's just not super common yet and i i know the next generation playstation will have like they made a point of saying the 3d audio will be there right like in the machine yeah so maybe when it's more of a focus of the machine and more of a focus on developers uh to put emphasis on that feature maybe i'll notice it a little bit more but i i I haven't had any problem figuring out what sounds were coming from above me or behind me or 
whatever. And, and usually when I do, it's explained away by just the game being designed kind of poorly on that front. I think this has something to do, Chris. I didn't even know what 5.1 meant until like a few years ago. I think actually maybe even more recently than that, because I'm just not very technical. Apparently, this is like more like 7.1. Right. Than 5.1, I guess. 5.1 being that there's five sources of the audio, right? And I guess 7.1 would mean that there's seven sources of audio. I guess. I don't know. It's a. Th- you really let me down because you usually know the stuff that I don't know. I definitely don't know this shit. Like this shit is like uh, Dolby. Okay. <laughs> sure. You know. I'll just listen to a podcast. The only thing I know about sound is that uh, is that when you're editing things, you can't. You have to crossfade all audio into each other after a direct cut. That's about it. Yeah, that's about all I know too. I know anything that I know, I'm pro. Premiere Pro. Ray Ripley wrote into us and said, Hello, Spooky Colin and Scaredy Cat Chris. Aww. Are you guys still bummed that we didn't get Kojima's Silent Hills game? The Silent Hill franchise desperately needed a reboot at the time, and PT was a really good teaser for what was to come. I'm excited for Death Stranding, but a part of me would ra- rather have been in the timeline where Kojima didn't leave Konami, and we got Silent Hills and a completely finished Metal Gear Solid 5. Have a happy Halloween, guys, and don't forget to give those Santa Monica Gutter Punk kids full-size candy bars this year. Oh, I will. Maybe it'll be drugs and razor blades. <laughs> um, Chris, do you wish that we got to see that Silent Hills game, that Guillermo del Toro, yeah. Kojima, Konami production that was uh, that PT was the PT demo was supposed to tease for us? No, 100 percent. PT was uh, PT was really cool, and especially like now that like it's been several years and people have been able to like break it open and like see like, the ins and outs of that game. Like, there's a lot more detail in that game than you would expect. Like, there's a whole... Everything outside of the house is, like, fully rendered. Like, for no reason. And it's, like, super interesting. And you can go around and, like, explore it. It's really cool. It's the... it's. I feel like it's the most modern... Not urban legend, but, but like, most modern kind of example of this, like... This thing that existed and we all got to see for just a little bit that had all these, like, really cool secrets in it that just never materialized. It's super... It's a super cool part of video game history especially in this generation and uh it was really it was a it was a really good horror game and it is a shame that we never got to see it materialize into anything more than what it was it's funny man because pt comes from an era and not too long ago now several years ago where konami just wasn't let me back up it's almost surprising something this cool came from konami i guess is what i'm saying considering what we think about at the publisher today and kind of their intent with their games and kojima burned his bridges or vice versa so badly at Konami that I don't think you'll ever see this revived again. It's almost like with Metal Gear Survive, which we've joked about so many times on the show, where how can you really make Metal Gear Solid 6? They're going to make Metal Gear Solid 6. I think it's in development, but how? And, and and it's the same thing with Silent Hill. It's like, how? It's the same thing with Castlevania without Iga. Like, how are you really going to do this? And it's just funny that PT came from this era and Silent Hills announcement and all that when Konami just didn't lose all of its goodwill yet. So that's what's so interesting about being from that generation, too, is just the, the, the butterfly effect from that point is very interesting. But PT is interesting, too, in the sense that it's it's not on downloadable anymore. And the PlayStation 4s that have it are the ones that are going to have it. So those are going to be valuable units in the future if people really want to go play this game. And the other cool thing is, is that I think people still find stuff in the PT. Like, yeah, you're talking about all the pre-rendering and all that. That's but like since the game hasn't been fully extracted and and mined on PC, as far as I know, people are still finding things in it. And it came out like five years ago. So it's pretty and it's like a really small section. It's pretty cool. You know, and so I, I don't know, you know, to, to Ray's point, I wish we did see that Silent Hills game. I hope that Konami is wise enough 
and they seem to be testing a lot of stuff now. We've talked about this many times. I don't want to be redundant, but with Castlevania and Contra and even their arcade games, they released that, uh, like I said, that Contra, that new Contra game, uh, the twin stick shooter. And so they seem to be exploring ways to get back in. And Silent Hill is another way for them to explore. There was the last Silent Hill game, as I remember, was that Vita game, Book of Memories. Yeah. And so there's there's a way back in for them. I really want to see Konami make a comeback. I, I would I would love to see is like what I my dream. My dream, first of all, is to just be the creative director on, on a Castlevania game. But is for Konami to be like one day be like, listen, we've hi, we've hired this team for Castlevania, this team for Contra, this team for Silent Hill. They're all working on something. This team for Metal Gear and maybe they're big, big teams. Maybe we got way forward and maybe we got some of these other guys, Team Ninja or something, you know, weird team and get people involved and and start coming back because you have all these IP and they're really valuable and useful. And if uh, Bloodstain in particular should approve everything, people want Castlevania. They want it. They just want it the way that they want it, not the way you thought we wanted it, which was this Mercury Steam trash that you gave us for many years. Evan Rhodes wrote in and said, hey, y'all, as someone who plays on both Xbox and PlayStation, I've started to see that Sony seems to be playing things incredibly safe lately. I understand that they are dominating in console sales, but it feels like they've been lacking in innovation this gen. And I'm just wondering if you think this could lead to them stumbling next gen because they're playing catch up to some degree. I have a feeling the new consoles will be very close in power and price. So features and ecosystem seem to be what will separate the two. PSN compared to Xbox Live is really rough, and I find Game Pass to be a reason to be in in that Xbox ecosystem or at least invest in Microsoft services over PlayStation. What can PlayStation do to really separate themselves features and ecosystem wise to convince people to invest? Hey, man, the biggest thing recently, Chris, in the last few days with Game Pass is that the Outer Worlds is on Game Pass for free. That's how I'm playing it. So I got a code for the game, so I'll be honest about that. I would have gladly paid for it, but. We talk about this, and I think it's we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show, actually, um, with Project Scarlet and their new all access thing. I'm a little fearful, too, because Microsoft seems to be a car that's already in motion. It's already going 60 miles an hour down the road. It doesn't really know where it's going yet. It's on a desert road, but it's going. It's got the momentum, all that kind of stuff going. It's a tank full of gas, really excited fucking driver, you know, in the, <laughs> in the driver's seat. And I feel like Sony is like in traffic right now. Like yeah. they're just kind of waiting to get to the they think they're going to get there and they don't really care and don't really seem to have the urgency so they're happy to sit in traffic and listen to podcasts they or took something in, like they that. Took, yeah yeah you know they're what like I mean? taking the wrong exit on february 21st and it's like oh, we should have did it in may right <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's it it seems far more disheveled and a lot less composed than i Certainly. think we're all used to there's a checklist of things that are weird and some of them are minor, like the we were talking about uh, just last week, I think, and we've talked about it recently. The concrete uh, genie. Uh, well, well, yes. The marketing is first of all totally the marketing and PR hand does not know what the development hand is doing, or they don't care. That that that, and it seems like whoever's doing PS5 PR and marketing doesn't care about the PS4 anymore, and doesn't care about how those games do. And in fact, this is where internal rivalries are bad, and Sony's rife with internal rivalries, and they really were. That's why they wanted to bring it all in-house during the PS4 era under Sony or SIE. I mean, that's where the renaming came from and all of that kind of stuff and the different PR teams. But there are different interests at play in any large corporation, and I kind of feel like you see those playing out just by the way the PS5 has been marketed so far on the back of PS4 games that still need to sell. And I'll keep hitting that drum. I'll beat it because well, I'm going to beat it. But I'm going to keep beating that drum because I think it's relevant and I just can't imagine working on a game and then they just don't even give a fuck when it comes out. All games make most of their money in the first few weeks. If 
Concrete Genie is not selling because no one's paying attention to it, then that's a problem. But that's just one problem. You have a bunch of other, a litany of problems that are minor on their own, but that are combining into something that I think is actually pretty scary. And you know what the one thing is that can save? Well, not save it. We don't know what's going to happen. But the one thing that can write the ship from my perspective optically is, is the games, because that's what's going to matter the most. If Sony comes out, no matter what Microsoft has been doing and say, like, hey, guys, we have some big ass fucking games coming to PS5. Here they are. And they can do that. Then it kind of wipes away and erases a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. But man, I really do love it. In the United States, where people can't afford a $400 emergency, the idea of paying $20 a month for PSN, PS Now, PS Plus, whatever, and the console doing something like that. And hey, wouldn't it even be cooler if it wasn't predatory? Wouldn't it even be cooler if it was to say, we'll do this at 0% APR because we just want you guys to have the unit. We want you to have the console. We want you to get the games. You know, they, they have a way to fix this still, but I'm really feeling pretty bullish about Microsoft right now. I got to be honest, feeling pretty bullish about them. And we're going to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. As somebody who's fairly agnostic, I'm definitely more interested in what the hell they're doing just because if i feel like it it would be hard for it not to be a massive improvement and that's i think the thing we talked a little bit about this before i can't remember on which episode but just the amount of work that needs to be done the amount that of work that needs to be done to make ps4 better is far less than xbox so i feel like they've already got an advantage in the sense that like anything that we put out for this next generation is going to like inherently be leagues above what we've what we've had before. And also, they've got all these studios, you know? I, I don't know, man. It's interesting. We'll see. Sony might be playing the game of just being like, we are. We're, this is going to be a straight gaming console. There's mm-hmm. really no reason for us to even talk about all this other stuff because, it's, of course, it's going to do that. You know, right. of course, our console is going to play Blu-rays. Of course, our console is going to let you go on Netflix. Who cares? Of course, we, it's going to have big backwards compatibility that we're working to achieve. We're working to achieve that. We're sorry to say we're working to achieve that. Nick Chavez wrote into us and said, good morning, Crown Colin and Cottonwood, Chris. Long time, first time, blah, blah, blah. Referring back to your Sacred Symbols Plus episode about China, you guys should go listen to that. China or Jaina. Jaina. There it is. You all talked about words becoming more and more meaningless. I don't understand the term Metroidvania. I know the root games that construct the word, but as far as gameplay style, it is lost on me. Would you kindly explain it to me as I hear this word constantly tossed around like it's going out of style? Thank you and God bless America. Hey, I hear you. There needs to be a better way to describe this game, these games at this point. I agree with that. Because calling a game Metroidvania was much more quaint when there was three of them a year. But now there's three of them a week. And, and, others, and others like 3D Metroidvania, like I, I've heard uh, Fallen Order described as like a Metroidvania. Right, and Darksiders was, is, is largely considered a Metroidvania as well. And even Zelda is, is considered a Metroidvania, which, is, which goes back to questioning where this term came from. So the term comes from Metroid and Castlevania, which everyone knows, but it specifically comes from Super Metroid 1994 and Castlevania Symphony of the Night 1997. Now, the original Metroid was also a Metroidvania game, but we didn't really know it that way. And no one cares about that game. And the original Castlevania was nothing like Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And so the the games, the Metroidvania is a descriptor to, to indicate typically 2D planes and that you go into parts of the game that you're not able to access and return to those parts of the game where you are able to access them. That's basically what Metroidvania means. So if you think about a massive map like Shadow Complex or something like that, and you go through the map and then there's like all these squares that you weren't able to go to yet. That's a Metroidvania because you can go back and then go to those squares once you have the foam gun or whatever the fuck you needed it. Yeah, in yeah. Shadow Complex. So that's basically a loose way of explaining it. The problem with Metroidvania as a term is that it's one of the only two genres I can think of that actually talk about the game or the games that inspired them. The other is roguelike, which is named after the PC game Rogue. And roguelikes are basically supposed to be very tough procedurally generated games, right? 
And I don't like these terms because I don't think because they, they require a familiarity with a certain type of game, but you're trying to describe what the game yeah, is. Yeah, I have already. no idea. I had no idea. I still really don't know what a roguelike is. You just explained it. I'm still like, uh, whatever. A ro- it's, it's like alien to me. Rogue is, a, I think, a 1980, 1981 ASCII PC game that was randomly generated and procedurally generated. So is No Man's Sky a roguelike? That's the problem is that like a lot of games that have like, what, what was that? That t- motion twin game. Um, oh, shit. The side scroller, the really beautiful side scrolling Metroidvania game. Anyway. Oh, Dead Cells. That game yeah, yeah. is that game's a Metroidvania and a roguelike. Yeah. And, and now and so now you start getting into the the weeds about what these things are. And we talked about it. Didn't we just talk about last week the, the or two weeks ago adventure games and how adventure game means something. But actually it doesn't adventure games are like point and click games and walking simulators and shit like that. But I don't know. I, I, I almost wish like we could have a conve- like and I'm not talking about a convention like PAX, a convention of people like publishers and developers and people getting together and being like, what do these things mean and how do we define them? Because I'm making a just as an, I'm not making a Metroidvania game, but developer X says I'm making a Metroidvania game, but it kind of sucks that I have to describe it as a Metroidvania. Yeah. The fuck does that mean? First of all, it's invoking two games from other publishers and selling their games. I, yeah. But I, so I don't know. It's and, weird. Yeah. I think a t- I think a true Metroidvania is probably, you know, what you described, but specifically side scroller. I think that's the best way to limit it. Because Metroid, Metroid, Super, Super Metroid and Symphony of the Night are both side scrollers. Right. They're platformers in, 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 a, in a roundabout way. So, you know, you can go 3D Metroidvania, I guess, but then it gets a bit. Isn't that just a game at that point? Like, there's so many yeah. games that do that where you got like, oh, I can't go here, but until I get this thing. It's like open world, kind of. I mean, Destiny's like that. Right. You can't. Uh, yeah, is- like, there, there are areas in Destiny that you can't go unless you get like the special quest line and then you finish the quest line and then you get like a, a skeleton key to op- to get this to open this dark cave on the moon and you're like is that a metroidvania because i could go to the cave before i was able to get into it yeah it's, technically well you're absolutely right dude but like you're absolutely right yeah it's a mess it no it's totally a mess and it's kind of gatekeeper ish and i don't mean that in a bad way like I, I i mean that in the sense of like if i'm a new player if i like my brother-in-law plays a lot of, you know, not a lot of games, but he's familiar with games and he plays games. But if I describe to him, like he plays the Batman games and all that kind of stuff, like even Arkham Asylum was considered a Metroidvania. And if I went to him and said, like, Arkham Asylum is a Metroidvania, like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that even mean? And that's a problem. If you want to sell those kinds of games to people that are more casual. I, yeah, I guess it's just not a casual term. I guess it's, it's a term that you that is totally fine to use when you're talking to people who aren't novices. But it, it should never say on a box. As the genre Metroidvania. I don't think it even could. I don't think it could. I would imagine Nintendo's so litigious that I would imagine that they first will have a problem with that that term. But I was in the industry for a long time before that term even became a thing. Like there were Castlevania Metroidvania style games coming out before Metroidvania. So I don't I think Jeremy Parrish, who's the guy at Retronauts, I think is the guy who invented that term. And I think that that term has just stuck around much like roguelike and roguelite, even though they invoke literal ip in them and so there needs to be like the reality is is that castlevania symphony of the night's an open world rpg but what is the it's an action rpg but but madden's a role-playing game i mean we talked about this this is why we have to figure out how to talk about these games in different ways we do yeah like like you brought the great point madden is a turn-based role-playing game it totally is it's got it's got like active components in it but you actually don't even need to play the game you can just choose the plays and let the computer control your team 
And even if you're choosing, even if you're controlling your team, you're controlling one player, typically the quarterback. So I don't know, man. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's very similar to how I'm playing Tales of Hearts are still on Vita and I only control one player in my party and everyone else is controlled by the computer. What's the difference between that and Madden? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's really yeah, yeah. not any different. Yeah. I don't know. We're getting, we're getting into confused places, but I totally understand Nick. We are confused. Eddie Almaguer wrote in with the final question and said, hello, Chorizo Colin and corn on the cob, Chris. Now you see, you would think that you're Hispanic and I'm, yeah, I'm I feel white. Like you'd be reversed. There. You would think that that would be a different way, right? I've never had corn on the cob in my life. Really? You've never had corn on the cob? Nah, I'm not. I'm a fucking first world person. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna eat, chew corn off a fucking stick, dude. It's so good. Corn on the cob's great. You put ah. butter and salt on it. You're ah. fucking out of your mind. Nah, you're fucking crazy. Anyway, he says hello, chorizo, Colin, and corn on the cob, Chris. <laughs> Thank you for not acknowledging our uh, our heritage. I guess. Yeah. Whatever. I guess I'm the Hispanic one. That's fine. I feel when it comes to the talk of going over digital over physical, the argument of trade-ins is never brought up. As I approach my 30s, I only buy two to three games a year, but I always trade one in before starting the other, and I slowly build up gift cards. In fact, I bought the newest Call of Duty for just $9 from from game trade-ins I built up. I'll never go fully digital because of the system I use, and I think it's being neglected every time the argument of physical versus digital comes up. While you two are in a unique position to acquire games thanks to your credentials, do you think some something can be done to flip someone like me to digital? Am I in the minority here? I want to be clear real quick. Uh, Chris and I buy most of our games. Yeah. So I, I do want to say that. I spend hundreds of dollars a month on games. I pay for Game Pass. And yeah. I also buy games. I, I bought Medieval. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I bought Medieval as well. I bought Concrete Genie apparently for $10 more than it was worth because I bought the, uh, the special edition accidentally. But... I hate when people say that. I understand because when we when I was more in the media, we when we still get codes. Like I said, yeah, sometimes I got a code vein code that I gave to Chris, for right, instance. Right. Uh, I got Outer Worlds, but I still spend much more than the average person on video games, even with that. So I just want to be yeah. clear that we're not we're not complete freeloaders. And if I get a game, sometimes usually I'll buy. I'll, I'll if if I get a code for a game that I'm excited for, I'll just probably buy the game and just give it to my one of my roommates who's excited for it. Right. Because nice. I just like supporting games that I like. But also, you know, wait, what was the question again? My brain's uh, exploding right now because the heat. He wants to know if he, we can be if he can be flipped to digital, so flip someone like him right. to digital. I mean, I don't know. I, I if you if you're really focused on the trade in thing, maybe not. But like, I don't know. Trade ins are not like a big thing now, really, because I think a lot of people feel like they're just predatory and they just rip you off, which is not wrong, really. Uh, so I, I feel like this is a very specific problem. There's no need for you to go digital if you don't want to. It's not like uh, you're a bad person <laughs> or like you're morally inferior <laughs> because you... I disagree. I think you're morally inferior <laughs> and a bad person. I don't... I I just don't foresee this being like a big thing for a lot of people. We saw it with... I think it was Borderlands 3 where they said that a majority of their sales were, re- or were digital, which is fucking nuts. And is one of the inflection points in where we're going, where we're moving. I remember when it was big, when I think some PS3, late PS3 games were selling like 5% digitally and stuff like that. And so this reminds me, and I, I, I mean, it's kind of a weird analogy, Eddie, but it's like there are still people in my hometown on Long Island that wake up in the morning and go to the deli and buy a newspaper. But most people don't read their news like that anymore. And you can continue to go buy the, the deli's newspaper if you want, or... You can just turn on your phone when you wake up and just read the news for free and have it easier and not have to go drive in the car and all that kind of stuff. I bring that up only because, like Chris said, I think that there's always going to be a remedy for you, but that remedy is going to become smaller and they're eventually going to start pushing you in in ways and prodding you in ways to make you buy the digital version of the game, whether it's pricing, whether it's convenience and all of those kinds of things. So 
my biggest thing for you, I understand that people want to sell their games. I understand money's tight. We really try to be cognizant of that on yeah. the show. And people want to trade their games. But the reality is, is that you're not going to have a market for much longer. It's just clear that you're losing, right, Eddie? And I don't mean that as you, like you're, but like your type of person, you're losing. And so you either have to adapt to the times or figure out a niche in which you can survive and you still can survive. There's going to be retail games. PS5 is going to take your discs. You have time to go. But yeah. eventually, I mean, I really believe that eventually a Sony game is going to come out that's not going to be on disc. A big, and obviously Medieval and, and Concrete Genie are, are games that are not on disc, but I'm saying a AAA game and eventually you're just going to be moved off of them just like everyone else who has been hesitant has moved off of them because your argument and what you want has been made by millions of people who no longer buy retail games. Yeah. And you're just going to have to let go. I remember my thing, the second I the second I decided I'm just going to go all digital was the second that like every single console forced you to install your discs. I remember from that point on, I was like, well, what's the point? Like the whole point of having a disc to me was like the simplicity of like, oh, I'm just going to take this to my friend's house and then like put it in the thing and it'll it'll work immediately. But the second it's like, oh, I got to install a disc if I bring it to my friend's house and then I have to install an update. It's like, wow, oh, well, that's... It's the same thing. That's like way, that's so much more tedious. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually more annoying though. Yeah. It's, it's super more, it's way annoying. So it's like, ah, I'd rather just, I'd rather just get it digitally, have it pre-downloaded. So that way when it launches, it's mine and I can access it from wherever I want. You know, I, I'll have to download it still, but at least I won't have a physical thing that I have to worry about. And like, especially, especially when moving, man, like... <laughs> The second I moved for the first time and I thought, my, my dad was like, do you want to pack up all your games? I looked at it and I was like, no, no, no way. I'll get like a sleeve to get the disc that I have and then never buy another disc again. Yeah, it's it's too much. Last it's game, much. The last game I got on disc was Destiny, the original Destiny. That was 2014, I believe. It was 2014. Maybe Metal Gear Solid The Phantom Pain in 2015. But those are the only two games I have on disc for this generation. Yeah, I, I, there's one publisher, um, Namco Band, or Bandai Namco now, that still sends me games once in a while, but most companies send codes and have for years, and I don't go out and buy games. So I bought Metal Gear Survive at famously on uh, Amazon because it was like 10 bucks. But um, <laughs> How was it worth? Uh, was it worth the $10? I haven't even opened it. You still haven't opened no, it? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely, definitely haven't opened that game. Definitely not. All right, Chris, that's all I have for this episode, episode 70 of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. All righty. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it out there. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad free access, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas, and just to support our endeavor because we simply cannot do it without you. Uh, we'll see you next week for episode 71 and more Sacred Symbols Plus and all of the rest until next time. Oh, SideQuest is coming back this week, too. So uh, by the time you hear this on free feed side, the newest episode of SideQuest will already be up. So uh, thank you so much for your love, your kindness and your support. We'll see you later. Bye. Take care. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box. P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. 
As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyan Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Juleps, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lostaqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymouth, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Schutt, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Shane St. Pierre, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wasteman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Casual Misfit. Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Mason, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Chris, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, and Rainick.